to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, the show is also a game, which I will award points for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. The winner will be my best friend for a week and have gloating rights. I am your host, Mike, and I will not talk like this for the whole entire show. <laughs> Thank goodness. It is exhausting. Whew. Was that like your announcer voice? Yeah, it was my announcer voice, and I was like, should I be like, and welcome your host, but I said I so much, it got very confusing. <laughs> I went through a bit of an identity crisis. Do we need a fourth person on here to introduce you? Yes, I think so. Like think an Ed McMahon? Nice. <laughs> yes, and then never fucking talk again, Will unless I demand they do. A, d- a McMahon demand? Will you uh, run up to the audience and give everybody a high five before you start your uh, intro? Yes. Okay. Of course. <laughs> of course. I dare you question me. Those two voices you've heard, the first one was my best friend from last week, Greg. I've been gloating up a storm, Mike. I've been really enjoying my gloating rights. That's the point, because why earn points if you're not going to gloat? If you're not going to strut around, elbows in the air, glutton up a storm. And my friend, you got to strut. Oh, yeah. And you'd think that makes you safe, but it is not. You're up once again for elimination Wow. against... A mean, lean challenger in the form of one, Ryan. If GOAT is greatest of all time, is GLOAT greatest lame wad of all time? Because if so, Greg, you're a fucking GLOAT right now. Oh, the answer to that is no, Ryan. Oh. So thank you. I sh- <laughs> a little bit delayed reaction for the crowd. <laughs> they're on a tape delay. That was, They were laughing right away. Trust you us. ever think about how they're all dead? No, yeah. I would say I don't. I don't think about that. It is weird to uh, record to have our studio. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, that... I'll think about how you're on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is how, I mean, ghosts say boo only. Yeah, so exactly. They never like anything. Except there's that one ghost who's always saying boo earns. Yeah. Why is there always <laughs> that one? The horny ghosts say boo. Should we be reviewing Fox sitcoms from the early 90s with oh. this audience? Dude. Is there a podcast that does that? Let's stop giving so. Mike podcast ideas. We can't do any more. <laughs> My wife is going to leave me if I start one more podcast. <laughs> That's the name of a podcast, Mike. Six <laughs> is my limit. And every week is a different format, and that's how you get around the divorce clause. Is there a PA where wives can go and talk about their dorky husbands having too many podcasts? A PA? <laughs> yeah. A Pennsylvania? No. The state is chock full of them. And not a production assistant. I'm talking about Podcast Anonymous. Podcasting Spouses uh, Anonymous. Uh, 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 a PSA. You need a PSA for the PSA. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad we're laughing it up right now because the movie we were talking about tonight is all about kids killing kids. Sad. Babies killing babies. So sad. So sad. I'm against it. S- yeah. So sad. I mean, it might be entertaining, but I would still be against no, it. No, I, I think the kids should not kill kids. Therefore, one star movie. Yeah. Thumbs down. Cringe? How about the entire thing? That's yeah. my award. Start to finish? Yeah. How about I never, that cr- for I cringiest moment? Cringing. Director signature making people cringe? Not going to make it. Not going to make it in the bracket. We're done. That's Thanks, Battle Royale. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> what Thanks was your experience with this movie before this week, gentlemen? Uh, I'd seen it before, so congratulations to me. Um, and I think that the best thing about seeing it before, besides it being a very good movie, is watching it blow the fuck up when people thought that we were far enough away. Not it, the premise. Far enough away uh-huh. from it that people wouldn't notice. 
Yes. And so um, I feel like we have thousands of battle royales. I don't know if we'll get to that later, but uh, it doesn't seem like the most complicated premise. And yet people have been straight up ripping off this movie for years. And shittily. Yeah. Like <laughs> the movie the movie does it in a very sort of like neat uh, economic way. And everyone else that has approached this has been like, what if I added a lot of backstory to this? What if I added a lot of ancillary characters and a lot of off-screen stuff going on? And I got to say, Mike, watching it as a kid and watching it now, it's two different movies. You did. It's Catcher in the Rye. It's like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm like with these people now and then I'm with these people now. I, yeah, we'll get into it. I just didn't remember the kids sucking so much. You didn't watch this when you were under 15, did you, Ryan? <laughs> oh, God. Do I want the Japanese police on my yeah, ass? Yeah, dude, no. you're going to go right to the Japanese pokey. And they will send you to an abandoned island <laughs> yeah, where dude. you have to kill everybody else who watched this movie under 15. They wouldn't send me. I would obviously win immediately. My history with this movie is like when I saw Hunger Games, people were like, you know, this same thing. It's already been done. It's called oh, Battle Royale. wait. Were there movie fans who would rush over to you to let you know some fact Believe about it or not. This I is do, unbelievable to me. I do know, that, I do know well, those folks. And so I, like, I guess I thought I... I guess I thought I knew about it because of that, but mm. I had no idea, and I was I was blown away. This is like this is a very good movie, and it's very well done, and it invites you to try to figure out, you know, try to trace every character in it. the 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 answers are not easy, um, but I really enjoyed it quite a bit. You know what this movie is? This is one of those movies, and it's more modern than most of them. Most of them are from the 70s, but it's one of those movies that Quentin Tarantino doesn't want you to see because he wants you to think that only he is capable of things. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, at a certain point, my wife turned to me, and she's like, so just everybody, so every director's seen this movie, huh? <laughs> like, when it was, like, yeah, it is chock full of, yeah. He doesn't want you to see most movies from Japan, I think. Yeah. The, movie, thing. the movie it reminded me the most of was that we've watched is Death Race. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Death Race. And here. so I like that. That kind of changed the way I approached it because I felt that tone come on really early, and that adjusted some of the tragedy of it for me because it was just like tonally, this movie does so many different, very interesting things, and that keeps yeah. it from ever like bogging down. Really, it this it's so clear the director did not want to make Come and See. Yes. Uh, he wanted to make something closer to the death race, but yet that still like maybe kind of had the same some of the same messages as Come Oh yeah, see. yeah. <laughs> it's can I blend pulp and tragedy? And uh, Greg, th- those annoying movie fans uh, who would scream at you when you mentioned Hunger Games that Battle Royale did at first. I was the kind of uh, protector because I would run forward and be like, I read the book years ago. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> is the uh, original book in Japanese? Is it a Japanese language book or it's a graphic novel, it right? I, uh, no, it was a book, it was a novel novel, and then split into mangas and the movie and the very maligned, shitty sequel. And soon to be on Broadway. Yeah, man. Like, I have never watched a movie and then only at the end of it found out that there is a sequel and been like, oh, no. And did you hear yeah. that story? Don't do that. <laughs> the story about the sequel? Yeah, it's so this was the director's last film, and his son wrote it. He died having filmed one scene, the director from, I think, pancreatic cancer, and his son was like, I've never directed before. I'll pick it up from here. I'll finish it for dad. <laughs> I got the one scene, so I'll just build off the logical <laughs> direction that's going. Yeah, it's a movie that begs you, like, please don't pick this up again. Please don't, like, follow these characters. Don't follow this event. Don't try Oh, Greg, to, they do. Don't they try do to follow explain characters. any of this stuff. And the second somebody starts, oh, man, but that's such a betrayal. But what, it, so- it was kind of a hit, though, so what are you going to do? 
Yeah. We, we got to make another. Yeah. Uh, in the sequel, uh, Shuya, who is one of the winners of this battle royale, he is now like an international terrorist. And so the government, instead of like sending soldiers, they send a new batch of 15 year olds who are like potato sack raced together to try to kill him. Mm. And called- he goes, hey, I was a kid too. Let's not do this. Be on my side. And they do. <laughs> well, now I don't have to watch it. Is it called Battler Royaler? Yes. Is it called Battle Royale with cheese? It's, that is. That that's the porn parody. <laughs> See, even Tarantino ripped off the yeah. second word of the title. Yep, there you go. Seven years before it came out. I can't tell if he because he is on the record saying he loves this movie. Yeah, and I mean like uh the runner is in a yellow and black tracksuit. Yeah. So the thing I was wondering is like is he ripping this off, or are they both borrowing liberally from the same filmic Japanese, right? Like, uh, kind of schlocky action tradition? Because like the arterial blood spray in this is so samurai movie. It makes me so happy because mm-hmm. I've watched a bunch of those movies with my folks, and sometimes someone will swipe a sword near someone else, and then just like a shower of blood will come out. I gotta say That's though, the key cri- the key grips, the best boys kept that blood off the camera, and I appreciate that. Very true. Did your version have CGI extra blood? A little bit, know. yeah. Yeah, like everyone's like when their collars would go, uh, there was just very clearly like 2000 era, because I think this is for, or no, it might be when the re release to America came. So it is 2002 era, but it's very obvious CGI, which is like a little more blood. George Lucas stepped in and did that. Yeah. He famous for loving blood. Loves blood. <laughs> More blood. I watched the version where instead of weapons, all the kids had walkie-talkies, but nothing else was changed, so they were still shooting each other and <laughs> slitting each other's throats with walkie-talkies. I watched a version that was a dub instead of a subtitle, and I made it through maybe two Ooh. lines. I was like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, don't go down that road, my friend. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Battle Royale. Before Squid Game, before Ready or Not, before Avengers Arena, before the Purge series, before the Hunger Games, there was Battle Royale. The final film of director Kinji Fukasaku, with screenplay written by his son Kenta Fukasaku, Battle Royale follows a ninth grade class on a field trip gone awry. In the near future, <laughs> the Japanese government has passed the BR Act out of fear of wayward youths. So their solution? Regularly send entire classes out to kill each other on a chosen battlefield, leaving only one sociopath killer kid. We get to know Shuya, a boy haunted by his father's suicide. Kunonobu, Shuya's best friend, who maybe stabbed the teacher once and is in love with Noriko, who might be in love with Shuya, because even though they're fighting for their lives, these kids still got crushes. Some of the kids embrace the game, some of them kill themselves rather than take out a classmate, but they are all at the whims of the army and their vengeful former teacher. Taste Buds, I ask you this. For better or worse, as we've said, Battle Royale may be one of the most influential films of the year, if not the decade it came out. Does it still stand above its imitators, and if so, how? Style. It's it's just style. Like this is, yeah. I don't know if we need to get into the auteur theory, or I've not seen any of this director's other movies. I know he had popular movies in Japan about for like fifty years, Yakuza and stuff like that. But um, there's so many decisions made, and that's yeah. what I want to see: is decisions made. This is how they're gonna die. This is how I'm gonna shoot it, and I'm making choices. And when I watch. I mean, the, the, like a lot of people talk about the video games that came after this. I don't know if Fortnite, if, if Fortnite and is it P Bug or yeah B Pug or whatever it is. Like player player unknowns 
Battleground. I think those video games, like, I don't know if I directly relate those to Battle Royale, but things like the Hunger Games. Because there was, like, Goldeneye before this. Yeah. So I guess I don't understand. Call of Duty. It's the, the Battle Royale idea seems like video games is a, it would have happened eventually. But things like the Hunger Games and Squid Games and other games, like, I just the lack of choices in those bore me, and the mm-hmm. artistic decisions here of making violence this beautiful thing is the the number one thing I would say. The, I, there's many things, but that's where I would start is the choices. On top of it being very like artistic and fun, also it there is a spareness to it. Um, it there's not a lot of extra pieces in this movie. One thing they lean into hardcore is. You, we're gonna give the names of all forty-two of these students, and oh, yeah. that makes it um, unwieldy sometimes because it's hard to keep track of who these different kids are, especially because they're all wearing uniforms. But uh, what I'm talking about is like there is world building without someone expositorily turning to somebody else and being like, "This reminds me of this." Blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's you feel that there is a bigger world around this, and it the movie doesn't explain to you exactly what's going on because people don't turn to one another and explain to each other what's going on. We have right. the context to understand that. And so I think just diving in and just going for it really makes this more compelling because when you think about the larger world, when you have questions about it as a viewer, it makes the movie feel really, really big. It makes it feel like there's all these things that you could understand about the movie by watching it repeatedly, but that you still don't get just yet. And that's the feeling that always wins us over as a podcast. When it feels like, I feel like if I watch this movie three more times in a row, I still wouldn't get all the little twists and turns. But Mm -hmm. every time I watched it, I would be like, okay, no, I remember this kid. And it would be so rewarding to have those questions answered just by the source material itself. Well, think, think about it. Like if I explain the movie to you, before you watched it, you would be very, very surprised, I believe, to find out that there is infinitely more time spent on a flashbacks of a basketball game than there is on uh, like real time examples of what the fuck a danger zone is. Yeah, man. The, the da- oh yeah, they, boy, do they talk about danger zones a lot without ever going. The danger there. zone is really it never comes to fruition, and I, whether that's a mistake or on purpose, we can talk about, but. This basketball game keeps coming up. And what I love about the basketball game is that you don't get a lot of um, boy eight is a very giving person. So he right. is the one who gives the assist. Yeah. Or uh, boy 10 is um, very defensive as a personality. So he's great on defensive basketball. What you really just get is a bunch of kids that you already know who Hoops. you've seen in very bad things. Kids have- who can't hoop. No, yeah, they're These not. These kids fucking no, suck at basketball. <laughs> I mean, you can tell. Uh, I love watching uh, directors try to shoot around yeah. terrible athletes because they have to pull out all these tricks, like a lot of slow motion, a lot of slow a lot of camera below the rim, and then like the shot goes up, cut to the shot goes in, but you never actually see one continuous shot and then go in. But what it serves well, as is a constant reminder of their previous normal lives. Yeah, right. And I mean, it, the, it's the, like, hey, you're 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 getting caught up in it, like, because it is goofy at times and it is so stylized. Uh, but this is where it gets, and it can be pulpy. But the, I think the basketball scenes reminder of like, hey, they're kids, and they end. I, I accidentally watched the director's cut, and so you get, it's not in glimpses. You get the whole basketball scene in one long. Oh, scene. really? Yeah, like it's Williams. Yeah, there, oh, there's some too many. I would say too many. Rec- you Williams. could cut, but the one basketball or two one. Rec- <laughs> 
the the basketball one you get to see all of the kids not just the five playing basketball that you see through most even including uh like mitsuko who is she's not one of the ringers that they bring in to kill the kids but she instantly embraces the game and yes. goes nuts like and she, even she catches she's cheering catches herself and walks out before anybody else can see that she was also excited which is classic like, oh. high school behavior they were all just such real ass kids before the government who said they're doing this because they're afraid of the kids. Uh, did you buy that? Like this is, I know we, we don't see a lot of the world, but my problem with how it feels small is that their teacher, their old teacher comes back to lead it, which makes it feel smaller than it could be. Oh, not to me. And to me that, to me that it made it, he leaves and then he somehow gets like, joins up with this program. Like they, these kids aren't randomly selected. They're selected by adults that right. have grudges about if them. If you've ever been a teacher before, this is the most believable thing about the movie. <laughs> that you would but leave your job you, like, and you would come back to watch these kids kill each other. I, I can't imagine any of the three of us ever being teachers, but if you could, you wouldn't you want to cherry pick the kids you hate? You wouldn't be like, and some of my favorite kids are No, here, he hates the, the whole class. They, ditched, they didn't show up one day. They like You can tell how like smart-mouthed they all are. Uh, I think it's not. He's not randomly assigned to this. I mean, he goes out and he seeks it out. And oh, for sure. Yeah. So I. But that made it feel smaller to me. I guess. The other thing that about the direction, the thing that I think this movie has that its followers don't have, and I include Squid Game. I wasn't a huge Squid Game person when everybody else was watching it, and now watching Battle Royale, I think it's stupid. Like I think it kind of sucks. Is they? I feel like with the two games franchises, Hunger and Squid that they have this checklist of things that they think movies should do. And it's mm-hmm. so rote. We're like, well, we have to develop characters. You're not doing it because you want to or yeah. because it feels organic. You you're know? checking it's, off a box. Right. Yeah, you're going down the checklist and you're saying, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to, do, we have to give some pathos, we have to like, uh, make people care about it. Like, we can feel that you're, not doing, or that, that you're doing it on purpose. Whereas with this movie... What's contained in these two hours feels exactly what was desired. You know, it, it feels right. like a perfect package. And that's, I think, what the other things don't feel like. I think for Hunger Games, which is like the, the most famous ripoff. And that also, like, I think is good. Like, it, so many people did come out of the work and be like, Battle Royale. So, so many people were like, I guess I should check out this Battle Royale. I like kids killing each other. Uh, the Hunger Games book, I think is a lot more well-developed. The, the, the movie is wrote, there's that era of the Hunger Games movies divergent. All of them were like, well, we just flatten what makes the books interesting, right? Because we want to sell to the four quadrants. Uh-huh. And so the the movies took out, Katniss is an asshole in the book. She's kind of a dickhead. Yeah. And that makes it pretty interesting. And then the movies are just like, nah, though, right? Uh, like, and she and her girl. friends become terrorists. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's sort yeah. of what these franchises do is that they flatten out everything. So if anything is like to use audio recording terms if anything's too loud or too quiet you bring it to the middle so everything is in the middle and if you were to compare uh, a love scene in battle royale to a love scene in hunger games or squid game you would be like well battle royale is the worst like out of context that's that looks corny and cheesy and the acting's not great but it's it's in context it's exactly what was desired you know it's exactly what you wanted whereas this is all flat Everything else is all flat. Also, I, I right. I think it's. I think part of why this movie is more effective than its like uh, copiers is its embrace of there is no answer in this movie besides the sort of Proustian like comfort we can take from our memories of good times and our memories with friends. Like, there's no way to really escape 
the the battle royale and come out completely intact. But what we can do is project ourselves backwards in time into a moment that was beautiful and that we like feel comfortable with. And I think that like without the movie jamming that down your throat at all by just showing you memories, it ma- it <laughs> brings that up. I think that that's an uh, that's an extra artistic layer that none of these other movies has tried even the least they've tried the political commentary. They've tried the romance angle. They've tried like, isn't it hard to be a kid, but they've never tried the like, that's the thing is that they, this movie battle, uh, battle Royale has all of these elements and doesn't feel overstuffed. The tryhards, the things that came after try to strip down and maybe focus only on one or two elements and they feel overstuffed. Yeah. You know, or like saggy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah baggy, bodgy, saggy, baggy, bodgy. And to, to Greg's point of like the lesson thing, like there's no, there's no moment at the end uh, where Ebenezer Scrooge is like, yeah, but this isn't real, right? I can go back and change stuff. That right. You need to have that in, I don't want to sound like this guy, but like in American movies, you have to have that moment of like, no, but now we're better and we've learned. Yeah. There's all you, those memories, that's all they are. It's not like, well, let's go back and fix what we've done. It's we were playing basketball and now we've done this and now we have to live like that. And that's why it sucks that there's a sequel. These two kids survived. Uh, they're not going to change society. They're going to be homeless, and the government will be after them and probably catch them. Yeah, and they're not going to get away. That's the thing. The, the, regard, <laughs> the sequel can just go to hell. Like, they're, not, they're not going to get away. <laughs> they're not going to last like, much longer at all. The, like, the movie wraps, and then they probably get picked up later that day because there's nowhere to go for them. Really. Picked up by right. Nick Fury. And they absolutely, like, one of the things she does hell is she yeah. goes back to her house. They, if you go back to your house, they're going to get you. So there is no comfort in the future in this. And the the present is also madness. And so all we have are just, our childhoods are worthwhile if they provide us any comfort that we can go back to after the apocalypse that is adult life. Like, if they can give us any sort of comfort or glimmer of hope, that's all there is. But we are in the wasteland because that's just that's just what happens. You become an adult and no one can tell you what to do or help you or save you anymore. You're just on your way to being checked out of the battle Royale, but you can turn around and be like, man, but Christmas when I was seven was nice. And that's just, that's, a I gotta say, I'll take the apocalyptic adulthood over the hell that was childhood. Yeah, I guess it's- I didn't get to play basketball with friends. So, <laughs> well you did, but you played in slow motion as if there was some sort of director or signature there. And if you, and they would scream, if you were just faster, man. Um, th- this movie has, we'll say, the truck nuts to do, to do like, ask those questions and not have easy answers, which I just don't think that the Hunger Games and Squid Game is not American. It's not right. Like, so much was made of like it's the biggest foreign language show in the history of television. Um, it I don't think it has the nuts either to stand up to anything that Battle Royale says or does. Yeah, Am I, I wrong? N- Did you guys think about Squid Game differently after watching this? Well, I mean, one thing one thing that Squid, Squid Game is like moving away from this movie's greatest strength, which is that this is just a two-hour production. And at the end of it, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, I could even do more of that. Squid Game, that's how the first couple episodes feels. But man, by like episode six or seven, you're like, I'm kind of over this. And by like eight and nine, when it hits the, the, the last couple of the season, you're just like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. It's, so like, it's just too long. Squid Game, halfway through, you're like, I get every message. Hopefully they will. The future episodes will offer me new messages, and it does not. Yeah, I was more up on Squid Game than you guys were, but this didn't make me. I don't know. My I feel like my feelings about Squid Game and the Hunger Games are pretty locked in. This didn't make me hate them more 
necessarily. I think the Hunger Games movies suck. I think Squid Games is a fine. And the Hunger Games books are dope for young adults. Yeah. But Battle Royale is fucking it's it's just the like we said, it's the intent. There's intent and a message and like we are who we are, but also like pulp rules. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this guy embraced pulp and reading about him throughout his whole career, but definitely here, like blending blending pulp and schlock and murdering children and having some like real nuance behind that i think is so interesting so even when stuff doesn't always hit at least i'm interested watching it. there's there's a it, it, battle royale doesn't have to be the story doesn't have to be told like this you know there's a you know we can name 10 other directors and talk about what their battle royale would be like and mm-hmm. it would look entirely different and feel entirely different and even the messaging would change depending on who those directors were so it's not like i'm not i'm not saying that battle royale is perfect and all other things suck i'm saying that those other directors potentially could make a different equal movie it's when you're like well i don't have the the messaging i don't have the ability to like put myself into the movie so i just have to throw the screenplay up there i just have to get the screenplay on camera and then we're done well i don't uh, right. Fine. Okay. Like, good job. No, no good art is gonna come with attitude. I do this and then I'm done. Right. <laughs> like that's not. <laughs> and then, uh, I get to go home. It's it feels like I'm doing this because it's I'm an artist versus I'm doing this because it's it's a living. It's a paycheck. Yeah. I do think that it's something about how long Hunger Games as a movie franchise, three movies, and mm-hmm. Squid Game as as four a, movies. Oh, four. That movie. third movie oh yeah, because they movie. broke it up into two. <laughs> God fucking Harry Potter. Harry, there's a lot of bad stuff yeah. that came from Harry Potter, but I do think hey, this movie's two movies, even though they're not really two movies, is one of the most you know horrendous. That's probably just, one of the biggies, right, Mike? <laughs> let's just call them episodes at that else. point and really piss yes. off the directors. <laughs> All right, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, dive into the fashion of 2002. That's right, little voice. It is time for Mount Rushmore. This week, fashion. We are building a mountain in honor of the four most fashionable items of 2002. Given the year that it is, fashionable does not mean good. (laughs) And fashionable is the word I meant to say there. And you did, Mike, eventually. Eventually. I got there. You got there, buddy. All right, Greg, take us away. Some of these are outright crimes because they are so unattractive. Some of them are very attractive on a certain body type, but that body type is not healthy or good to be. Can I just say, based on the when I was born, I loved all of these. Like, it, no, it throws I, me back, and I think they're all so hot. I have to, yeah, I have to admit, <laughs> I was like looking at pictures of all these looks, and I was like, yeah, this is like when I was like the age to be into the way celebrities look. So the front of my brain understands why it's disgusting. Yeah, the back of my brain is like, hello. And this is a perfect example. This is what I'm going to lay on everybody: low rise jeans. Yeah, I know it's a sin. I know it's wrong. I know it's like not. It's not good to have the type of body that tends to look okay in low rise jeans. But I was. Just a little baby boy of <laughs> uh, 19 during this year. And I got to say, these low ride jeans made a big impression. What if she sneezes and it moves down a centimeter? I mean, That's a centimeter is like, it's like, what you got, right? It just, you felt like you, that you felt like these women were not really wearing pants. And I like aesthetically, that's probably ridiculous. Um, 
but when you are into into fashion in the way I was at the time, <laughs> it, was, it was a real winner. Do you know Such what it was? Women were like, "Why do men, specifically plumbers, always get to show their butt crack?" Yeah, dude. Every time they squat or sit down, I want to show my butt crack. I want to have that lifestyle, man. I want to have that well union yeah. affiliation. <laughs> That's what remember, it was really for. Remember being a kid and you'd see a plumber and you'd be like, "Poor guy." Now you see a plumber and you're like, "Shit, there goes a fucking kid." He makes king. so much. There goes a goddamn <laughs> king. We need another Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> I'm saluting you, friend. All right, that is on the mountain. Clearly, Ryan. Um, Mike, remembering back to 2002, um, I realized that all women dress like Johnny Depp looks now. <laughs> 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 and uh, I know that that's we can't just say Johnny Depp look for the mountain. Uh, I don't know if you'll accept that. So I'm going no, to. I need say, specifics. I'm going to be specific and say, did you? Do you remember the the chubby kid from Hook who I think actually gets the Peter Pan sword at the end? Oh yeah, uh-huh. that gets rad. Do you remember when he jumped through uh, a sheet of armor? Yeah, and then yes. he was just wearing the armor. Yeah. So women in 2002, they would jump through a sheet of handkerchiefs and then just be covered in <laughs> scarves and handkerchiefs randomly all over their body, which is Johnny Depp today. They look like Steven Tyler's mic stand. Yes. Yeah, Steven Tyler paved the way for Johnny Depp later, for sure. I have to say, Johnny Depp is right at the... First of all, f- obviously, uh, fuck Johnny Depp. Uh, yeah. Johnny Depp is right at that point where he's going into that, like, uh, he looks like your aunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like face, he's Your just super crossed cool aunt. over. Yeah, her aunt whose office always smells a little funny. A little too much rouge. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of lipstick on his tooth. <laughs> Makes cool crafts that you won't appreciate till you're older. Just like feathers in his hair, and it's like, is that? Did you do that? Is that on purpose, or did a bird crash into you? <laughs> if Steven Tyler saw Kira Knightley wearing low cut jeans and scarves in 2002, would he just start singing into her? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes, he would, Ryan. I'm, for now, just to keep things saucy and putting scarves on the maybe pile. Greg, what do you got? All right. (laughs) This is going to be good. All right. Here we go. Okay. Uh, So you have the jeans that basically end like a centimeter below your hip bones. Obviously, you're going to want a kind of shirt that goes with that. Can I interest you in a micro crop top? Just something that is so small across your boobs. So basically, your whole torso is completely exposed. Again, back then, <laughs> that was a real important thing. Now, you look at these women and they you feel very bad for them that they that they had to they had to They had to be this. chilly. They had to be cold. They had to be hungry. These poor women. Steven Tyler using them as mic stands. I want to push back on what Greg said about how you have to have the right body type, whatever that means for low-rise jeans. When I rock my low-rise jeans, uh, I look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, sometimes I try to, like, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to couch this, and and then instead of making anything better, I make everything, like, kind of worse and creepier. <laughs> <laughs> for your vulnerability. <laughs> Uh, this this is not a, a mark for or against this outfit, but this is just celebrities, right? You didn't, especially if we were at high school age or around there. It's that was certainly. Do you remember the way school. girls dressed in Southern California high school, or like, really? and then like I was in community college at this point. No, this is the way women. This is like just I would go to class and this bralettes. is the way girls would be dressed. Yeah, we all they were went, nineteen. We all went to Southern California high. 
SoCal High. Well, the fighting burnouts. <laughs> Mini crop is on that mountain. Ryan, what do you got? Shit, okay. Uh, I will go with fedoras. A lot of your jokes are getting points in this segment, okay? So don't be a <laughs> jerk about it. No buildup? You just want to go clay- straight to fedoras? Yeah, fedoras, they're hats. Everybody wore them. They're it, on was, it was a hat. It was like a time for hats. I guess because... There was like no fabric used on the torso, so like I was yeah. just pile up. We have all on this the extra head. fabric. Yeah, <laughs> every outfit must have the same amount of fabric. Because so. I swear, I'm not gonna. I don't think we're gonna get another hat on the mountain, so I'm just gonna throw <laughs> some out. Bucket hats, trucker hats, page boy hats, all popular at Jamiroquai's? this time. Yeah, dude, Jamiroquai. Remember how Jamir- how popular Jamiroquai rooms became? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just have What's to keep a Jamiroquai moving? room? I just want to sit on my couch and watch TV. Yeah, like, the floor moves everywhere? nonstop, and you got to just always be grooving on it. If you wait for even a little bit, you'll fall on the couch, maybe get dragged under. <laughs> we never saw him again. <laughs> All right, so you just rattled off three. Ryan, what do you got? No, I wait. Hold on. That wasn't me <laughs> taking my turn. I was saying there are some more hats. My because I said none of these are gonna get points, so that wasn't me actually. That wasn't actually me taking three consecutive turns. That was zero turns. All right, the only one I put on a maybe was trucker hats. Okay, wait, I I'll switch. I'll take. Could you put bucket hats? I love bucket hats. I'm <laughs> okay. sorry. At at some point, I saw LL Cool J wearing a bucket hat, and it changed my life. How come? <laughs> that is the coolest thing in the world. If you if you wear bucket hats, you're a cool rapper. But you put a couple of fish hooks in that. And you know, you're a dork? Now you're an angler. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm a cool rapper who's always ready to fish. <laughs> I mean, like Ice Cube kind of did the rapper to fisher thing, right? <laughs> From rapper to fisherman, the Ice Cube story. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, this is sort of the end of the era, but um, I, I think that they were still big, and that is the choker. The, yeah. You got to, you're going to take the necklace off, and you're going to wrap something around your neck. And again, dirty, gross. Crime against fashion, hot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> very, very fun. Every era has its own uh, BDSM like yeah. things that find their way into fashion. Choker is a good one. Twenty twenty, it was gimp masks. <laughs> Everybody wearing their gimp masks all around. You didn't see it because we were all indoors. All right, kick off this speed round, Greg. Corsets just worn as a top. Big in two thousand and two, coming back now. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was. Man, school dances. Oh, yeah. Little Mike liked that. Right? We're all going to be able to be creepy in this segment. That's so nice. So It's so nice to finally have an opportunity for three 40-somethings to just sit around and be creepy together, right? Have we done uh, Hot Girls of 2002 yet? Not yet. Okay, so Rushmore is just our time to shine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, we have to salivate over the boys of the era so that everybody feels like the air has That's been cleared. The Ryan? Uh, okay, let's just keep this train rolling. Um, sometimes when girls were... <laughs> you don't have to be a creep. You can just say the thing. Yeah. No, wait till you hear what I'm about to say. Sometimes when girls were wearing a shirt, it wasn't a shirt. It like went all the way down. like It was like a bodysuit. But the low-rise jeans would show little bits of skin in between the shirt. And oh. The- oh, yeah. I remember that. Good look. That's 2002 as fuck. So like, the the great whale tail. Yes. Greg, I'm gonna go with big sunglasses. At this time, I felt like this is the first time I've experienced this, where 
the sunglasses would just be the upper half of the face. That's not super pervy. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not pervy. Do you I'm sorry. Do something else. I could. Okay. How about, wait, what do I do this one? Okay. Here's one. Uh, Man, Greg's right. getting a lot of replacements. Uh, uh, chunky sunglasses. <laughs> okay, yeah, now you're Cooper. Bigger, the bigger the better. That's what I always All right. say. One more <laughs> each. No sun. And then no sun's getting in her eyes, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you will each get one more, and then Ryan, you will get to replace one of yours since Greg got to do that <laughs> with Trucker and Bucket. Did I cheat a little bit too much in this segment? Love the fairness. Um, so Ryan, what do you got? What is the one thing that this girl is definitely going to have that wears all this stuff? Uh, it's not clothes. Body dysmorphia. But it is fashion. <laughs> it's a tramp stamp. <gasps> tramp stamps. Did we say a single thing about boys this entire time? No. no. Well, I said LL Cool J looked very handsome. Yes. In his and fedoras were gender neutral. What does LL stand for, Greg? Um, Little little Lamar. Yeah, it's Little Little. Little LL Cool, cool J. J. <laughs> It's little, lil. It's ladies' love. <laughs> ladies' cool love. James. Cool James. I can see that. That guy. Yeah, they did. That guy. That guy. That guy's good. The, ladies' love when you're deep as blue, as your head sh- like a shark's fan. I think there should be more things where it's almost an acronym, but you say one of the words in the acronym. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good sound. LL Cool J. Sub Cuba. <laughs> do I get one more speed round one, Mike? You do. Chunky belts. Chunky belts. Statement. Chunky. Belts. You throw a belt on there. You belt it. You cinch it. All right, Ryan. Do you want to replace any of your maybes with the new option? No, it's fine. Okay. Very, your very big of you. <laughs> well, if I lose, I have something to protest over. That's true. You love a protest. My uh, special two pointer, three pointer, did not get called out, which was tank tops with ties. Uh, but your Mountain Rushmore of fashion two thousand two is low rise jeans, mini crop tops, fedoras, and. Run through an army of scarves, and all you are wearing is scarves. <laughs> Man, fashion's stupid. It should just be jeans and t-shirts, everybody. When we come back, more Battle Royale. Taste buds, how does this movie ultimately feel about the kids versus the adults? Are the kids corrupted? Are they victims? Is this whole movie just about how shitty adults are? I, I mean, whatever changes I had between my first watch and my recent watch, um, I was not siding with the adults, believe it or not, on this. Really? This, this not even one. the teacher? Not even the teacher who wants to kill all these kids. Yeah, I think that um, <laughs> this is classic generational stuff. And I, I, I tried to like research some stuff about like Japan and schooling and what was going on at the time or what they were commenting on. Um, but it's not not here of just like... You know, especially with the boomers, the millennials, and to the to Gen Z now, is uh, we're gonna raise these people, and when they're fucked up, we're going to hate them. We're gonna raise right. them poorly, and then we're gonna blame them for everything. And we get that right away in this movie. And we are going to put the violence into them. Like we we are done preserving their innocence, and now we're gonna put the violence into them and put this authoritarian streak into what we're doing. But I I felt like. I felt the, the the generational interplay, I had expected to see a lot of it. But I felt like ultimately it was just a lot more about these kids being trapped in this situation and trying to come to grips with 
the the reality of the world that they never suspected. But there's so little adult interaction for most of the movie. It feels like just watching them adapt their like sort of mental schematics to what's going on. I don't think when I when I watched when I was done watching the movie, I thought, wait, was that calling the kids out? Like, are the kids monsters in this? And I think that there's a little bit of a wi- of wiggle room there. But I have to say, I think most of the the way the kids react to what's going on is just to try to make some sense of a senseless yeah, I don't, situation. I don't think the kids are monsters at all. I think that, uh, I mean, the, uh, let's leave the two added guys aside um, and talk about um, the one girl, the mean girl. Mitsuko. Mitsuko. Who I, I, I think the movie feels about, you're right, keep going. Is the closest. Just know I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, keep definitely keep talking. Is the closest to a, <laughs> a sociopath or a psychopath in the movie, and then we find out later yeah. uh, some very fucked up shit that was caused by adults. In the meantime, yes. in when two, she was like seven, and in two different ways, the yeah. guy who does it and the mom, and who the mom who allows who lets it happen. It. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, we have a bunch of kids who were put in this situation by adults. We watch all of the different ways that you can handle it, but. Earlier in the show, we were talking about how deftly this movie, I think it's deft. I can totally see the argument that it's not, that it's corny as shit, but how deftly the movie weaves between, I'm going to kill you with a sickle, do you still have a crush on me? Yeah. And it's just that conversation keeps going back and forth. It, those are their two main concerns. And I think that's what backs up that this is high school. Because that's what it what, feels like, right? This like is when you're what, a kid, that, it, it feels like the stakes are that It's high. life and death, and it's not just yeah. with your crush, it's with your future. It's with I'm going to it's going to feel like dog eat dog every day. That's I'm starting to sing an offspring song. Uh, <laughs> but like whoa whoa if you don't if you don't beat this person next to you, then they're going to get the spot in college. And they're going to get right. the job you want even though you're 14, you have to start doing this now. And you thought they were your friend, but really they're your competition. And and we teach like if you don't stab them in the back, they will they stab you. They are going to stab you. Yeah. Right. And so it it it's I think I agree with what you said Ryan that it's it's very deft. It, there are times where it's not trying to be, and in those ways, it is not. But equally, each scene, how much can be like extracted from it and how much it makes you think and all the different characters and the way that they are consistent throughout, but it, it can be a little bit hard to keep track of them. Especially once you get on its wavelength and you're like, oh, okay, act two is going to be 30 little plays. Yeah. And so now that <laughs> I know that, I'm going to watch each play for what it's worth, and it is heightened slightly, shockingly littlely, shockingly little heightened of what actual high school is yeah i think that there are moments that really seem to work the the pervy kid who is like uh-huh. goes after the runner i that like he is a creep and he's showing his true colors then that worked the yuki yuko when um shuya gets rescued by the lighthouse group and it's all the girls and one and they're all like you're so lucky because you have a crush on him and like they yeah. all that one was so cartoonish and big that is like, come on, movie, you've done a pretty good job at not going this, like, aren't kids fucking stupid? But I feel like there's no way to walk away from that scene except for that. I see what you're saying, but also, aren't they? Yeah, it just and they're it also felt a tur- little too ham-fisted. The, well, I kept thinking, anytime the movie felt that way to me, I just kept thinking, okay, as absurd as the situation is, put yourself in the reality of it. And the kids are trying so hard to like hold at bay the reality of what's going on. And so they keep pushing themselves back mm-hmm. into their child, their childish notions. And then the violence keeps bringing them back. And so that being torn back and forth 
causes like them to be very like wrought extremely high. Like the emotions are constantly running in between um, this sort of like weird manic joy and violent anger towards each other. And so I kind of thought that scene did a good job of showing like how razor thin the line is. And I how- also love like I know that they're overacting. I know that they're overreacting. But I also love how this like this is definitely going to happen in any class of forty kids. Without us knowing it until 90 minutes into the movie, six girls ran away and started a community within hours. Like they had a full <laughs> thing going on. They had like a, basically they set up a, a B&B uh, just waiting for Shuya to get there. They even knew like where, like they had a room that they could put a prisoner yeah. in. Like they had a whole system worked yeah. out. Food shifts. <laughs> but yeah, I do and think that, that, so- that, that scene stands out, Mike. I agree with you that like this is pushing stuff over the edge and I didn't want to be sexist about it but the six girls I don't think are, you are no I know but like I didn't want to like <laughs> focus on that but I think it's hard not to be like well the six girls are going to just go insane immediately when there's a boy around but I think but the that's way not it why, handles that's Noriko that's not why they go insane though Mitsuko, right no but like that like he he I guess he's just a new entity but because it starts off so he 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 he! Crush crush crush! Yeah. Like it really feels like th- it's the most I felt like the director was just like I don't know what do dumb girls do. <laughs> like a- a- everything else, I way I-, I did think it handled that razor edge and flipping back and forth well. Because there is one other element to that, and maybe I'm missing something here. But like the reason she poisons him is because she ha- she sees Shuya actually kill that. Like it's not an accident. She actually saw him kill the guy that fall he, down the hill and the yeah. guy died and then yeah. yeah but she sees that he actually swung the axe and killed that kid and so she decides that she's gonna kill him for that right mm-hmm. so it, in that way i thought it was like not silly i thought it was or or, or excessively like feminine it just hurt like she she makes all that action go because she has seen the true face of our hero that he like hides even from himself, which is that he has participated in this, and that it's not. Mm-hmm. There's no accident that he killed that guy. He killed that that other kid. Do you know what is is an accident though? That character when he got an axe in the head did not say, "I have a splitting headache." <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> One of the things about the adults that I wanted to ask you guys is, in the very beginning, we see the winner of the previous battle royale, and yeah. we see uh-huh. a ton of adults running towards her and trying to interview her, but in the story proper there are no cameras there this is not being filmed as far as we know and that means that like there's no take about this about like how media goes too far how like um we just want the most like the deadliest thing we can watch the most scandalous thing we can watch that's completely left on the table in all adults outside of the island except for um the main teacher and his soldiers are completely taken out was that surprising I, I guess it's I don't know maybe the director just didn't think about that it wasn't on their mind it would have felt overstuffed I guess it how the movie starts it is surprising that you never get that again it's yeah it is it's it is very pointedly not spectacle because they don't even know the like there the is kids a, don't know about this really yeah and there's the media at the beginning but they're like you said Ryan they're running towards so until she can see she doesn't know who is one she doesn't know that it's a girl she doesn't know like what her reaction is so like they are just being made aware of the results so it's not in any way a spectacle it's just blood sport without the like coliseum part of it which yeah I think that's crazy does Katniss have an audience 
Yes. Yeah, oh, that, that whole thing. Hunger Games is all about media. Because and it's all about keeping people from joining together and trying to fight the government. That's why it's right. Hard. Yeah. The Hunger Games. So it's splitting the different districts. And so they're cheering for their person and they want the other people to die. And then the capital treats it like we treat sports. This the capital's is, the bad guys. This is so much bleaker to me of like, we don't even want the ratings. We just know that we you, hate you. you deserve to be imprisoned because right. of your age. Because yeah. this whole generation is fucked. Because the, the previous generation were all these incredible Japanese people. And we, out of, completely out of our hands, the next generation is terrible. And so, yeah, we just hate you, and now we're going to make you do this. And also, like, we have left you nothing. We have told you everything you have to do, and you have taken one power onto yourself. You've had, you have one small modicum of control, and what it is is you are kind of fresh. Now, it, the, one, <laughs> kid, one kid slices the teacher. That's obviously very bad. But for the most part, they just pop off a lot, or they yeah. just ditch for the day. They do kids That's stuff kids. because kids need to rebel because they have zero power. And they have nothing in the world. And so if they can't just say, I am an independent creature, and so I'm going to just talk back to you. If they can't do that, they have nothing. That's in. You can't be a human and have no power, no control. All the unspoken stuff is that these the generation, like putting uh, previous generation, putting all this pressure on the kids with no teaching, no learning, just saying, you have to be this good. And then that's what they're rebelling against. So it's like, you better fucking do this. And then when they, which is not going to, you know, convince anybody to do anything. And then when they don't, they're like, see, awful. They're awful. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how this, I, I see that in this country. Like, that's how these generations work with each other. Does Kuninobu, who is Shuya's best friend, uh, who did stab the teacher who ends up coming back. Sliced for him with a butterfly knife. Okay. We Does admit it. Complicate. At least his death, like, if, if it was just these kids or pop-offs, would it be a clearer message? Well, we don't know. The one thing, the movie doesn't show us so much. Like, when you really start thinking about the movie and you realize the things that you don't see, one thing we don't know is, did, did he seriously attempt to run up and slash the teacher? Or did he was he running down the hall with a knife? Again, you shouldn't do that. And he crashed <laughs> into him. Like, it's not totally clear that this is, like, some sort of attack. It, also, the way that Kitano handles it, I don't think that's the first teacher stabbing on the campus. He's just like, <laughs> right. well, Because he just walks to the sink that <laughs> says, teacher blood cleaning sink. I do have to say that, I mean, it, it seems, if this is a, a behavior that's going on, I don't know that they should have the kids fight to the death, but they might want to, like, have a... Do something. Metal yeah, detector. May, maybe have a big Run around a track. Where you're get, like, okay. get their energy out. <laughs> we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a little play here, and let's see if you can see what's wrong. Do you see how that teacher got stabbed? That's where you want to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't stab. What I would do is you write to Acme and you order an oversized magnet and you hold that above the students yes. and you collect all those knives and guns. Yes, and then you might have a nice little business on the side. Sure, selling them to the battle royale. People. Who wants to buy this <laughs> magnet with a million guns and knives on it? Oh, oh, worst kid. Also, isn't it? It's a bad plan to be like we're scared of kids. Let's train one to be a really good killer. Well, that's uh, that. See, that is ultimately the paradox of totalitarian and authoritarian states is that you push people and you push them and you push them and you create the enemies of the state by giving people no other recourse by giving them nothing else to do and when they have nothing else to do they finally throw off the yoke and they say okay we are coming for you and that's the irony of being a hardcore authoritarian is that 
if you just backed off a little bit and gave the people enough to be content, that would be fine. But they never can. But all regimes go full Tobias and think, but it might work for us. But it and might work just here. Keep doing it. I mean, how does it end for Putin? How does it end for Xi? Like, they are eventually, how does it end in, our, in, in Iran? You push the people far enough and you create the force that deposes you and you leave them no recourse other than to say, this is a fight to the death and I choose yours over mine. Instead, just yeah, be dope always. as shit like Donald Trump. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, send Ryan to a re education camp, and when we come back, <laughs> a little fun game. Taste buds in honor of Battle Royale, we are going to do a draft of best pop culture child killers. Who is your team you will send into the Battle Royale and these kids will kill each other? Killer kids. I think it's so important to say killer kids. Not child killers. You keep saying child killers and it really brings me down. I just keep thinking of Killer children, not somebody who kills children. And I think it's important that every time we draft somebody, you have to say whether they get a pot lid or binoculars. Oh, man. That's a laugh out loud funny part of yeah, this movie. Sure. There's Uzis on the fucking island. And like, I mean, <laughs> the lady says something. She's like, some of you are going to get some pretty shitty weapons. Okay, binoculars are not... That's not a shitty weapon. Not a weapon. That's not, not a, a weapon fucking weapon. A pot lid? Like, that, that's a weird... They. That's You brought this up last time, right? But like, uh, if it's not being seen, why is there such carnivalesque absurdity like that? Like, who is right. that entertaining? <laughs> Just the teacher and the soldiers? I guess. We're, we're enjoying ourselves. This is kind of a fun I mean, day out. Their first fun game was, how hard can he throw a bag of weapons at a kid's oh, face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Clayton Kershaw's up there. <laughs> Mowing Re- kids down. Really whip them at these kids. <laughs> All right. Hello? Greg, you are first. Hey! It'll go Greg, me, Ryan. All right, so I pick first. And it's a draft, so that is Serpentine. Okay. Now, this isn't... I just realized this isn't Rushmore. This is a draft of kids we're sending in to actually do the killing. So they're not going to kill yes. each other. They're only only going to kill... They're going to fight characters. on a team. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that, because now I'm, I'm recalibrating a little bit here. And, and your time is up. <laughs> Here's mm, your what first I'm kid go is with. no kid. I am going to go from the comic slash comic based movie kick ass i'm gonna go with hit girl that is a uh a trained assassin good first pick in my books trained in both blade that's the first one i wanted to pick Ayo! guns now she's not gonna have her dad there but you know honestly i thought he was a little bit of a dead weight i did not think that he was the important part of that team quite frankly that- Big Daddy, yeah, you can kick rocks. Also, Chloe uh, is on the GMR network on Peripheral. Wow, Peripheral. always plugging. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the little sub icon that yeah. comes across the screen right now. He just has to do the audio version of it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go a little further back in pop culture history. Uh, that's fine. You have Chloe Moretz Grace. You can throw around knives. Little Miss Firestarter, Drew Barrymore, Ooh. can light shit on fire with her brain. That's pretty good. So I'm going to take that. That's pretty good. She like, yeah. uh, that's not even what she's trying to do when she starts fire. She's trying to do something else that just happens to start fire. <laughs> that's why she's <laughs> ah, always like, shit. God damn it. God yeah. damn it. Ah, shit. God damn it. I was trying to start a car. Started a whole fire. Well, I hope that uh, she doesn't bury more of our kids that we're picking. 
in the ground, six feet under. <laughs> oh, man, you got me right at the end. <laughs> that six feet under part really brought me in. Ryan, it's your turn. Uh, well, Mike, I would have loved to take the demon Pazuzu, but he is thousands of years old. <laughs> Facts. So I think that's too old to be a child. Yeah, I'm gonna have even to a t- demon child. It's not maybe it's a Grogu situation. No, it's he's just old as fuck. Okay, uh, so I'm going to have him slip into a little girl named Reagan, who is going to uh, force all of these kids to eat her out. <laughs> if I've seen th- this, is what happens in The Exorcist. Does that happen? In the little, exorcist? Oh, yeah. Kids will think it's disgusting. Oh man! <laughs> well, she suggests it. She doesn't make it happen in The Exorcist. No, does she? She shoves her mom's head into her crotch. Oh wow, oh, man. Man, Pazuzu, get out of here, bud. Pazuzu, you're a little pervert. Pazuzu's canceled. <laughs> you're a demon. That's the best you can do. You make some little girl act weird towards her mom. Come on, dude. Try to come up with the world. <laughs> Ryan, what is your second pick? Oh, I think that Reagan's teammate is going to be Samara from The Ring. And Damn, okay. I'm getting the vibes. Yeah, I think that I'm forming a certain kind of team. And these two children are going to fuck some shit up. Whew. All right. That's got that's changing my strategy in real time. I need uh to fight back against the haunted little girls of Ryan's team. I'm going to great Brandon Byer, aka Brightburn. It's a little crazy Superman. Did- oh wow, the Brightburn kid? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Did you see that, Mike? No. Yeah. <laughs> did, I mean, did literally anybody see that? It's the Bright Oh shit. So Netflix just makes movies with bright in the title that nobody watches. <laughs> they, that's their thing. They get off on it. Wasn't that the Will Smith? Yeah, the cop one? the orc yeah. cop one. Man, I I love fantasy. You know I love fantasy. I never for one second even kind of considered no. watching that show. And until you just mentioned it, I think it had almost completely vacated my brain. It looked awful, and now you're morally right because it's by Max Landis, who's a fucking creeper. Okay. Well, there you go. Also, like, I don't. Whatever they're doing there, I don't feel very comfortable with it. Like, who? Are, oh yeah. Who are the? What's? Or why is it the, orcs the and orcs. cops? What are we doing? Yeah. What's going on here? Oh, and apparently, like, I've read. I've not seen it, but I've read some synopses, and there is some gross uh, cultural appropriation. The orcs as standing for who knows who it could be. My in South God. LA. Come on. <laughs> and isn't his full name Orcus Malorcus? It's Orcus Malorcus. That's so stupid. That's bad. That's bad He's writing. A bit of a That's the real thing that I'm offended about now, the bad writing. All right, Greg, you get two in a row, my friend. Okay. This next one, I think we all have to this we have to have an, an, an enhanced understanding, right? We don't <laughs> see this kid ever actually kill anybody, but like we know that he's always just done it a second ago. Pugsley Adams kills <laughs> in the two Adams family movie he kills like eight people off camera and they always chastise him a little bit for it because it's like loud uh but this, <laughs> if you killed quieter like your sister this kid is legit out there icing people he is a killer kid i and love with wednesday on the board or on the table greg's like i'm a puzzle yeah i just <laughs> well look i just think <laughs> you are what you are i think wednesday actually like is a little bit more restrained the I don't, only person she hurts is Pugsley constantly. Yeah, like she kills him a bunch, but <laughs> no, I don't remember the her. The part ever in the killing. movie that you're talking about that we spent like 20 minutes on yes. when we did the Adams Family is 
uh, we hear in the background, away from the house, a horrifying car accident that Pugsley caused. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and he walks in with the stop sign. And there is right? no <laughs> way anybody survives that accident. And so, and I, I, yeah, we got kind of obsessed with it because it's like, if we, if, if the audience watched that, there's no way we could come back from, <laughs> hey, he just killed a family. What a lovable kid. Why are we now back to the walking hand? Wait, we should have, we got to go resolve this. That's something Battle Royale doesn't shy away from. Yeah, you just watched these kids garrot one another in the other scene. Now they're talking about crushes. <laughs> kids. Who needs them? Okay, so that's Pugsley Adam. Next, this shocked me. This was one of the most shocking moments in cinema history. <laughs> There's a movie called... Ro- I'm giving point for all the build-up. There's a movie called <laughs> RoboCop. Its sequel is called RoboCop 2. RoboCop has to deal with uh, cyber ninjas. He has to deal with captains of industry. He has to Nuke, deal with Nuke crooked is running cops. rampant on the streets. But he can handle all those things, Ryan. It's not that hard for him. He's a robot cop. Uh, but there's one thing. He oh, that's what Robo stands for. Yeah, took the T we'll, I'll circle back around. Uh, but the <laughs> one thing he has like no plan for. What if the mob boss is a kid? That's right. RoboCop two. The villain is a child named Hob. He is a child that's about ten years old who <laughs> runs a gang, and RoboCop like kills all his guys, and then he finds Hob, and then he his his Robo brain is like, don't that's a kid, don't kill him, <laughs> and the go. kid uses that to his advantage big time. I blame the parents. You named your kid Hob. Yeah, well, yeah. There you he go. He was never gonna be a good guy. There you go. But uh, so I got. He's like a gang leader. He's got a gun. He deals drugs. I think there's a lot here. He beat RoboCop for just a little bit. I RoboCop comes he back. He beat RoboCop. End, but I think so. This is your team leader. Yeah, Hob is gonna be. Yeah, th- these are called Hobbs Heridans. Is, is the name of my team. I do like the not Hobbs Goblins. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Marvel has done a lot of damage to the Hobgoblins. That's true. <laughs> All right, my next one, you know, it's debating between the what's true to you or the power. I'm going to go for the power for now. Uh, I'm going to take 11. Oh, wow. Sure, she's cute. She likes waffles. She murderizes a bunch of guards throughout the show. That's true. She explodes people with her brain. She explodes people with her little brain, and I'm taking it. Uh, just like Kleenex, though, cotton balls, something Yeah. To- mop that mess up on her face well my last person is a pretty shitty killer but he is known for carrying kleenexes right so see you're planning ahead you're doing this draft right all right you get two more and then you are done ryan um i'm going with the one of the craziest kids i've ever seen in movie history uh his name is tetsuo and uh, he has a giant arm that before it becomes a little too unwieldy he can use it to kill a lot of people (laughs) that guy is crazy yeah, he is. That is. Uh, this is from Akira, by the way. The second yeah, from Akira, Akira. The second you get a little bit of power, just being like, "Well, yep, I'm gonna let this corrupt me as hard as it possibly can." <laughs> Tastes like corruption. And all, uh, a very, I kind of not a shout out, not a reference or anything like that. But this movie has a lot of like, Shuya, and Akira has a lot of that. Tetsudo! Oh yeah, Akira. I think that's just like. We're not sure how to write male relationships. Just so have just them scream the name. Yell the names. They're going to yell each other's names. Which is, which is weird because I never use your names unless I'm giving points out. Ryan! Yeah. Uh, and then my final pick, I think that my leader is going to be Tetsuo. Uh, Reagan and Samara are going to be the, the, muscle. the muscle that they're going to send in. But I need a ranger. And so I'm going with Matilda, played by Natalie Portman, 
in The Professional. Who is okay? I thought you were trying to say that Matilda. She could from Rodol kill people. She's probably capable of murdering a lot of people. But we actually see Natalie Portman do it. Uh, she becomes yes. an incredible sniper at the ripe age of eleven or twelve. She uh, doesn't actually kill anybody, though, right? She she does. It's off screen. Um, she's very <laughs> capable. And yeah. if, if you want to say that she's from Leon, that's fine. It's a movie <laughs> with two names. I just think that, like, I, again, have her do it. Like, show us her as the killer. Like, uh, that's what's nice about Battle Royale is that it it goes up to the line and then it goes like, hey, oh, nice line you got here. Be a shame if somebody crossed it and then actually does it. And then it's, it does not say after that point, yeah, these characters are irredeemable, I guess, because they've done, they've done the worst thing you can do. Let her kill somebody. <laughs> Come on. Just let her kill somebody as a treat. That's her dream. She wants to live her dream. <laughs> that's all she wants. It's like a make-a-wish situation. But, but the, <laughs> the kid doesn't die. The person does. My last person, uh, I saw this movie at a very young age, and it, it struck me. It was terrifying, but also a little empowering, because the movie is called Mikey. Aww. The killer is named Mikey, a little redheaded boy who gets adopted into different homes and then kills everybody. Um, just real quick, not to push back too hard, but this is not a real movie. You made this up right now. Also, this up. is this an orphan situation where it actually turns out he's just like a wee man? No. Wait, is that the twist? An orphan? Did you just twist Orphan for me? Twist? Did you just spoil Orphan? I thought you would have seen it by now, but yeah, that's just a tiny lady. Yeah. And if you look at the cover, you can totally tell that that's just a lady. I like <laughs> the the no, it's an eleven year old girl who plays an older woman. Oh, it's not really a, a wee lady? But the sequel to Orphan, which I watched recently, has the grown up woman who's now like twenty five playing an eleven year old girl again. It's Awesome. As a franchise, just one of the greatest of all times. That's such a, isn't that <laughs> such a good twist, though? It is. What's up with this little girl? Oh, it's a wee lady, actually. Just before and she's you, crazy. Just before you know the twist, Mike, she puts the moves on the dad. And Oh, <laughs> before you know the twist. Yeah. Wow. Movies can do so much, <laughs> but should they? <laughs> See, Mikey is real. Remember, Jason and Freddy were kids once, too. Using the visual medium, Mike is showing us. Hold on. That's uh, starring Brian Bonsall, which was the kid they brought in halfway through Family Ties to spruce up the thing. And then Josie Bissett, who was from Melrose Place and wrote a children's book. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Not a real movie, Mike. Sorry. Also, that kid is not going to... That kid looked like he's going to suck. It's one thing if you yeah. don't see him coming, but he's got the ring, you know, girl. What I would do a lot is just kick him in the face. Yeah, dude. Get that. Yeah, well, that's how many people he killed try to kick him in the face, but they're still dead. I think every kid is a potential killer, and kick them all in the face. Just kick every kid you see in the face. I think Ryan learned the wrong lesson from Battle Royale. <laughs> Greg, who is your last person? Okay. When I made my list, I, I wasn't exactly sure what you we were doing, and now that I know... I'm going to <laughs> pull in. It's good to never ask questions and just drive on. It's called, it says it's a mini draft. I didn't know what we were doing. Okay, here we go. Uh, my choice is the little boy from Looper. Who uh, Looper is a time travel movie, and you think all it is is a time travel movie. A fun time travel assassination movie. But it turns out the little boy has incredible telekinetic powers that he uses mm. to make people pop. Uh, and when he gets angry, everyone around him just pops unless he like gets, unless they have him sit in his little safety fridge. Um, so <laughs> I am going to go with that child who then grows up to be like the, the, the like king of the underworld as well. Cause he's yeah. so, so good at having 
psychic powers. Are you worried that Hob and Lil Looper oh. are going to have a power struggle? In wow, I wasn't, but now it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to see that not happening. Because Hobbs going to be like, I have a gun. And he's going to be like, well, yeah, but I, I also have aspirations of leader of being the leader. And I can make you pop with my brain. So, yeah. Might have been a bit of a misstep there. On my All right. Part. So, Greg's Battle Royale team is Hit Girl, Pugsley Adams, Hob from Robot Cop 2, Lil Looper. Lil. Mine is Lil Miss Firestarter, Brightburn, Eleven, and Mikey. Ryan has the Possessed, Reagan, Samara, Tetsuo and Matilda, not the Rodal one. I think that Mike, you had a tough team. I think you fucking pooched it at the end. Yeah, yeah dude, I you had my heart. Superman and telekinetic weapon, and, and then you're like, and also someone who's got the same name as me. Well, <laughs> they send him out, and then just fucking destroy yeah. anybody who goes. While the other him. team is so busy murdering him. <laughs> Speaking of this, Mike, we should do a draft soon at some point where you can only pick characters that have your same name. And I know four Mikes and four Ryans could beat the shit out of four Gregs. Can you even yeah. imagine four Gregs together? Now, can honestly, you imagine a fictional Greg. Two Gregs, we cousin Greg. Two Gregs, we can kind of keep it a lid on it. Three or more Gregs in one place, we start bouncing off the walls, recording <laughs> off areas that are just for Gregs. And so it shall be. Can I just say a couple real quick, Mike? <laughs> sure. Uh, I did not. I thought Damien from The Omen would get picked for sure, but you actually mm. never see Damien do anything. Um, I had Eli from Let the Right One In, but Vampire is weird because she just looks like a little girl, right? Right. Yeah. Same reason with uh, Kirsten, yeah. right? Kirsten Dunst from Interview with the Vampire. And then the only other More one horrifying I had, than scary. <laughs> this one is from the heart. Uh, this is from being a kid and being freaked out so much is Gage from Pet Cemetery. Oh, God, the yeah. The main character. Hit the little thumb face kid? Yeah, the little thumb face kid. Uh, <laughs> the main character's yeah. son dies by getting hit by a semi-truck, and you see a shoe with a foot in it rolling slow motion after he gets killed. He buries him in Pet Cemetery, and Gage comes back to kill his family. And he knows... Does Gage limp because he doesn't have a foot? No. Pet Cemetery makes everything okay. He knows sort of. he shouldn't bury the kid. In I know he knows it, He knows he, so he should because of the cat! He drinks cat. a bottle of bourbon, ah, and he's like, well, the cat, that's the cat. one thing. Because cats kind of the cats are kind of attitude problems yeah. anyway. What it what all pet cemetery does is just dials up your gauge up to eleven. <laughs> so cats are assholes. Gauge is gonna be what cuter? Cuter than oh, ever. He's gonna come out cuter. Oh no, three feet maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is killer children draft. <laughs> and you know what? You tweeted us. Let us know who you think won out there at your pop filter when we come back. Our final discussion of Battle Royale. Taste Buds, what do we make of Kazoo and Kawada, the two transfer students out of the game as ringers? Are they just action movie archetypes needed for an action movie, or do they represent something more? Yeah, this is like maybe the only thing I don't like about this movie, and I was excited to talk to you guys about it because I thought maybe you could get me to like it, and then there would be nothing about this movie that I don't like. But there are... When when the when the schoolmates are killing each other, I feel like the emotional stakes are through the roof when that's going on. Anytime it's like the bad guy, like even having the bad like one of the contestants be the bad guy, it's so convenient to sidestep a lot of the the biggest gut punch moments. And mm-hmm. it, there's no other part of the movie that I feel like cops out at all. And I feel like it's the barest of cop-outs and I kind of didn't like it. With 
Both of them or one of them? With both of them, really. I, um, but especially, like, one guy, one guy is the good guy, one guy is the bad guy. Yeah. So especially yeah, so the, the bad guy. I thought that was... Kazuo is in a fucking black suit. Yes. Tarantino Of the mop top. Yeah, very Tarantino's very, like, hairs Japanese everywhere. Very, cinema archetype of, like, yes. the, the... Not the stone-cold killer, the crazy crack. The one who loves yeah, it. Yeah, Jokerified, if you will. The thing that hit me with Kazuo, we'll get to Kabada later, uh, is... He like, what are we trying to say about the generational gap? And the fact that there was three kids who figured out how to get in on the inside. They had a plan. They were going to hack the computers <laughs> in classic yes, 2002 dude. fashion. Yeah. Uh, and then um, they were going to blow up the thing because the security was down. And then Kazubo comes and destroys their plan. And... That was it. Got confusing to me because that sort of goes against what I think the message of the movie was. Until I sort of started uh, looking at him, because there's uh, there's character development for literally everyone in this movie except for this one character, and I started right. thinking about him as a Coen Brothers character. How every Coen Brothers story has one in unhuman a force of nature, force of nature yeah. that is in the shape of a human but is not. And so, is it hacky? Is it cheesy to send him in? to a scene when it needs it, maybe. But also, that's life. Th- that's sort that, of similar to what the Coen brothers are doing. And he is a student. Like, he is a kid, and he... He was a transfer student. Yeah. He, I feel like he is what all the adults fear all kids will become. And yet, that's who they utilize. Stylish, but murderous. Also, and, but, like, yeah, here's the example. Look, here's our anecdotal proof. That's, you know, right. like, I don't need to explain myself to you. Here is the one thing. Also, functionally, in the competition, it makes sense for them to add that guy because it keeps them from all just like forming their own little communities and working together. Because if he's thrown in, so it makes sense for the characters to do it. I just anytime he showed up, I was like, ah, this is like this is keeping us from digesting something that would be harder for us to see. You know, two groups of characters that we really like fighting each other not that that mm-hmm. never happens but so often we don't have to deal with that or we don't have to deal with that the entire movie because this guy literally dressed all in black with a gun with infinite bullets keeps yeah. showing up and just well it's good that he found the infinite bullet bag there's that, that i think that's another thing going on too is that like you would think that the labyrinth is hard enough but now there's a minotaur yeah you know right. we have added that into it because it's just more fun that way yeah you know, like you can prove your merit, you can prove your worth to yourself and your friends, but if if and and maybe that's what the danger zones were supposed to be, they just it just never came to fruition. But uh, the Minotaur was at least in the back of our minds and probably in the back of theirs. You know, the problem is that once, uh, for, except for the main three main characters, once you learned about the Minotaur, you were probably dead. I honestly, but I think it's that Fukasaku, especially knowing his history of the kind of movies he's made, they're always big, bright, pulpy, flashy. And we've talked about, he does not want to make Come and See. And I do think without Kazuo, Kazuo is such a cinematic character. Yes. And he wants to make a fun movie. And some of the bad guys can be fun and cool to look at. And not just the horrors of the former generation crushing the younger generation. I like that answer. Because ultimately, this movie never loses sight of the fact that it's meant to be entertaining. That if right. it can't get you to sit there and pay attention to it, it's failing. And so it has that its chief duty is to keep you paying attention so then it can deliver its message to you or, or, or you know get its point across. And so does he serve the same purpose as like 
a xenomorph or Jaws? Yes. Like you're gonna get cool. Well, you're gonna get cool kills out of him. You're only gonna get desperate kills out of all the other kids. Right, and you're only gonna get when other not only, but for the most part, you're only gonna get bonding and character development and learning about Ugh. people I kinda, with the other characters. But when he's there, he's Jaws. Yeah, yeah, and and so it there's a cleanness to that, right? And the mm-hmm. I mean, they made you said this earlier, Ryan. There's so many decisions made in this movie. We can't discount the fact they obviously decided not to give him any backstory. They obviously decided right. never to say, yeah, but if you look at it this way, and that makes him a force of nature. That makes him mm-hmm. like the, the and that he doesn't talk. Yeah, right. doesn't explain himself. He doesn't even like laugh he doesn't even seem to necessarily enjoy himself that much it's just he is just like the shark he's kind of dead eyes he'll, dead, i mean he'll literally smile sometimes end, right? especially when he thought he killed a kid and then the kid and goes away and the kid screams to the world he had a bulletproof vest on the whole time he smiled before he killed that <laughs> kid that time i think though that like the blinding at the end is sort of important like it sort of goes in hand in hand with the rest of his characters or the rest of the moments with that character in that um these all the other characters are making decisions and mm. they're saying, should I kill this person? Should I not throughout the entire movie? By the end, he doesn't have sight anymore and it doesn't change him at all. You know, that's mm. how he was acting the entire movie. As far as Kawada goes, I think, yeah. I like, I think he's easier one as an action hero archetype and he wears a headband to, yeah. he looks straight out of the eighties, cover up his scar, but he wears a headband because that's what you do when you're an action hero. Hell yeah. But the other thing too, is that I think that he's not that much older than our kids, but he's older enough to make it seem like he is in between the generation, the full generation before you is only out to fuck you and make themselves look good. And it's up to the tweeners to uh-huh. lift a, like to raise a hand to reach out for you and s- stop kicking the ladder out all the previous right. generation is going to do is get climb up to the next story and then kick the ladder out as soon as possible it takes the kawadas you know which like we're the three of us are at the point now where we have to decide are we going to reach an arm out to the people who are younger than us or fuck no <laughs> kick that ladder or kick that ladder as hard as we can and that's sort of i think besides the action heroiness the purpose of him Take it from a well, guy who's just spent the past couple of days writing letters of recommendation. I think I'm doing my part. I think I'm doing it right. <laughs> well, in Craig's offense, uh, it was just <laughs> it was letters uh, by Mike to me and by me to Mike. So, I re- yeah. I I hardly recommend them. you to each other once again. You guys would really get on quite well. You guys would be good friends. It's one of our best annual events we do. I fell for his pretend betrayal. Not just the first. Oh yeah. Not just the first time I watched the movie because that would make sense because you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> so you don't know. But I watched this entire movie and then I was like, I better watch that again because there's a lot going on. I want to make sure I got the most out of it I possibly could. And I got fooled the second time. I was like, both times I was like, why would you betray them right now? You're lying down. Why wouldn't you betray them? Yeah, because it's a remember he's they're doing a little show for the guy because they can hear them through the collars. In Greg's defense this time. <laughs> um. He yeah, so they're listening through the collars, and so he's figured out a way to deactivate the collars. But he has to fire the gun twice, so everybody thinks yes. that the two kids are dead. But he points that gun. I know it's camera angle thing, but he points that gun right at where their faces should be. So it is confusing. <laughs> you know what, right? That's such another interesting thing. They make it clear that they are listening to them all the time, which should be like a show kind of mm-hmm. but they steer totally away from that and we never even see them actually listening in we just except for that last part where we know that they've been bamboozled because of it 
But they they shied away from like the commercial aspect of that too, or like the broadcast aspect of it. Which is interesting because the guy, the teacher, acts like a broadcaster and was hired because he was a famous comedian and former broadcaster. So they knew he could do like the announcer voice. Oh man, and he's he's good at it, dude. Like they said that uh, he said that he got almost no direction on how he was supposed to be, so he just kind of like went with it. This is if you. You know, we're brought up on movies like Battle Royale, like the director of Battle Royale. The actor who plays Katano is a legend. Yeah. Legendary director and actor. And just like, I, I don't know, like, is so perfectly understated in a movie that is over the top all the time. And that his understatedness, like, just works. It's just so, it's so effective. Is he better than Don Steele from Death Race 2000, who eventually just gets run over by the car in the very last second? It's hard because... Him getting run over at the end is one of the funniest things that ever happened in a movie. And so he sort of like gets the the glow from that. Because Carradine in the movie is like, uh, I've married the princess or whatever. Yeah. Violence is over. It's over. World. The movie's over. I just need one more thing. There's I no, have to run over it's this the one most person. gratuitous violence in a movie full of gratuitous violence. Folks, if you're at home, watch Death Race. <laughs> Death Race is a great movie. Speed round. When we start marketing other movies we've done, this time to end a segment. <laughs> and by watch Death Race, Greg means listen to our episode about Death Race. Yeah, just yes, go back and find definitely. that episode. Uh, speaking of gratuitous violence, is this movie as over the top and shocking as it is billed to be? Shocking? I don't know. Like, there's a couple of moments that stand out. Uh, knife right to the forehead at the orientation. Yeah, dude. That sort of stands out. But I think that a lot of it is so... like. Like we've said before, they set, they ramp up the violence in such a way where at, at a certain point you're just watching to see who dies and how and why, as opposed to in what way. It's not like a mm-hmm. we're watching a slasher movie and we're saying, like, good kill, bad kill. I feel like well. the fact that this movie is, like, so controversial is totally a marketing thing, and yes. it really yeah. worked. And the movie itself starts off with, like, all right. If you even know anyone who's under 15, call them and say that you're going to be out of commission for a couple hours. Because if you let a kid <laughs> yeah. that young see this, it would fuck them up for life. And then there's a big that right before the credits start, that comes up again. There's another thing that says nobody under 15 can watch this. I promise you, if you're a kid under 15, you can watch this movie. It's not that yeah. much. This is going to be your oh, favorite movie. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous. My the. Uh, the best night of my nephew's life was when he turned 15 or when he was 15 and then he turned 16 and we finally got to watch this movie together. That's <laughs> He could finally understand it and his virgin eyes could watch it. A big moment for anybody. What's what's the purpose of Kawada's constant shifting what his dad does for a living? He's the Joker from Dark Knight. But he's the good one. He doesn't have a dad. Yeah, no dad. Just making it up. No dad. no dad. Just making it up. All right, I'll take that. Good job, Greg. Glad we clear that up for you. The three of us dropped on a remote island set against each other. How long till we're sucking and fucking? <laughs> Seven minutes. <laughs> they turned on each other right away. I mean, no, I mean, like they, they turned each other on. Right All three away. of us would be like, well, I have this uh, This stick looks like a microphone. Can I talk into this? <laughs> <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Could you come over here and milk me, please? <laughs> That's unrelated to the question. Mike asked, by the way. Greg just always says that. It's clear, and we've talked about what the basketball scenes are supposed to do, but were they successful? Yeah, I don't, like... I, yeah, I, I would agree. say that there was a 
maybe one or two mini requiems. As Mike, you said, one of the requiems is a dream. Uh, <laughs> or that kid knows how to bounce a basketball right into his hands, which is impressive. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, there's so much murder in this movie that you're. it's nice to take a little break. It is. And, you know, be, somebody could argue that it goes on too long or there's too much of it. But I feel like when you realize you're crossing that point and you're like, this is too long. That's one of the times where you're like, okay, my decision light is going off. A decision was made here. What does that mean? And what it, it's, supposed, it's supposed to feel like a real memory and be really comfortable and something that you can actually like, yeah, get a break from all the chaos in because that's mm-hmm. the role of memory as pushed by this movie, I think, is that it protects us somehow. Also, motherfucker, that memory is not was not that great when you were living it. And you're going to remember yeah. the Battle Royale probably fondly, too. Was there so many Requiems, <laughs> Mike, that uh, I would rename the director Requiem Ralph? No, I would not. That All right, that was my next question, but now I won't have to cross this out. Ask it. Okay, Requiem uh, We've talked a lot about the Hunger Games uh, and how it sort of ripped us off, even though Suzanne Collins said she never even heard of it. Uh, oh, really? It, oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, I've never even heard of it. Oh, my is it, God. <laughs> is, does the world actually not make a big enough deal over what a huge theft this of uh, Battle Royale this is? Even uh, Hunger Games has the danger zones, yes. but you get to see them. Uh, they have <laughs> that, I mean, the, so that's, therefore, that's Vanilla Ice. Dun, 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 honestly, dun, dun. that's how you can tell that she is aware of the property. Yeah. Because the one thing she did to definitely improve it is she's like, we got to see what's up with these danger zones, y'all. Plus, is they're it like the, killer wasps that are bigger. <laughs> isn't the Hunger Games just uh, Fifty Shades of Grey fan fiction that she just changed the names of? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's all all that shit is connected, man. But yeah, I feel like might as well be in a snow globe because we found out around the time Hunger Games came out, people told us, you know, there's basically a movie that's already this, and we're kind of used to that. But watching the movie for the first time now and having read the books and seen all the Hunger Game movies. It's egregious. She clearly sat down with her notebook and was like, all right, this next chapter will be like in the, this. In the second book, they take... All, Katniss becomes Kawada. Yeah. You get to they see her, her back back you get to see her, Yeah. Do you know what the thing to do, if you're Susan Collins, uh, which is such an, a writer's name, like, you're clearly an author if your name is Susan Collins, uh, you say, yeah, of course I've seen it. It's, it's the Groundhog Day of this decade. You know, right. Groundhog Day became this milestone where now we can all make ground. Every show just embrace of it. the 2010s and 20s have a, has a Groundhog Day episode because that's how it became an archetype. Yeah, just say Battle Royale is the Groundhog Day. The makers of Palm Springs were not even aware that there is a movie oh my goodness. called Groundhog Day. Oh, is it similar somehow? Ground what? <laughs> no, we're going to look it up because we just think it'd be funny to see what the similarities and differences are. With Puxatani Phil? This is the first time you're telling me this. The first time I'm hearing <laughs> To name Andy Samberg's character Puxatani Phil. Like, <laughs> all right, guys. Fuck you. Does knowing this movie finds its genesis in the horrors of World War II at all dampen the fun we've had? No. Well, I mean, that's why they fight wars, so we can have fun later. I have to say, in my short time experiencing Japanese cinema, it's all anchored in World War II, when <laughs> when you went through the things that the country of Japan went through in World War II, being like both the bad guy and the victim in so many different ways, you just never stop reflecting on that. Every Japanese movie I've ever seen, I feel like on some, at one point I'm like, oh yeah, it's about World War II, because how could it not be? I mean, even like Miyazaki movies, you know? Yes, like, yeah, definitely. Every, yeah. Even if it's like peaceful and calm, it's still like, 
not like that World War. At least this movie didn't say if this happens, it'll be like World War Three. You got to give it credit. But for that. World War Four will be fought with pots, pans, and binoculars. <laughs> what is that? A pot pan? This <laughs> is the future. <laughs> Does the teacher's fake death? And then he gets up to answer the phone at the end of the movie, remove the power of his death, or is that just like a funny gas? My only problem is that he didn't do that thing where he's on his back and he puts his hands above his shoulders and flips up onto his feet after <laughs> getting shot that many times. Yet another extremely strong choice the movie makes. And I, if you described it to me, I and I had not seen it. You I'd hadn't be like, been through everything the movie had put you through I'd be already. like, that's stupid, yeah. and this is a stupid movie for stupid people. But <laughs> in real time, watching it, I loved it so much. And then he puts the cookie in his mouth and then he does that instant death thing. Like he had just been alive yeah. and then he goes like, nah, I'm dead now. <laughs> I loved all of that. All of that worked for me and I was just like, go off movie. I'm his, enjoying it. His eyes went away and they became X's. That's how quickly <laughs> he died. But yeah, uh, I don't know what the cookies mean in t- except for uh, I will live to finish these cookies. I will not let yeah. my friend Daddy soldier eat one. I will take them away Adult. and then when there's one more, I will die. The thing that adults are upset about is they have lost the joy, the sweetness, the treasure of childhood. And so what he does is he takes that back. Not this guy. And he takes every single part of it, even though he can't enjoy it in the same way, including the very last one, which he literally can't eat. Well, it mostly he, tastes like blood at He that puts point. it in his mouth and then goes, <laughs> <laughs> Could a movie feel any more like a My Chemical Romance concept album than this one? <laughs> I just played, I didn't uh, listen to this dubbed or subtitled. I just played Turn Down for What the entire time I watched this, and it was great. I could not Interesting stop choice. hearing the song, Teenager Scare, the living shit out of me. <laughs> and I just thought that's, that's what this movie is. They're all wearing the uniforms. It's violent. It's melodramatic. It's emo as shit. It's got all the hairdos. This is a My Chemical Romance All the hairdos. Joint. And yeah, I'm not okay that that yep. music video, they were in school uniforms. But like, I mean, we've seen this throughout all of history is uh, if we fear them, we will destroy them. You know, like there's yeah. no understanding mm-hmm. when you think that you're elite and you have slaves that like we will just make them, we will destroy them. And that's sort of, I guess, what MCR is about sometimes. Battle Royale is very obviously, first and foremost, above all else, a movie about high school kids. How well does it do at being the OC? I would say pretty good. There's a lot of uh, crushes being talked about. It was hard to keep track of this. Pretty good. uh, Which is all I want from anything I watch is I want a bunch of kids where it's hard for me to keep track of who likes who. I thought that was so realistic the way it's impossible to tell because... They, and you like two people at once. And Everyone they, likes yes. two people. And they have like decoy crushes, I felt like, at some point. <laughs> and like they do that thing that's very high school, which is, oh, wait, you have a crush on so-and-so? I just, I mean, I just realized right yeah. now, I also I, have a crush on that same person. I know that you're in the top bunk and I'm playing guitar in my <laughs> office chair in one of the most perfect, we're in a dorm room situation. Oh my God, the time. warmth of the light in that scene is so fucking perfect. But when he, when his friend says, I have a crush on... The main girl, yeah. and the other one's like Nariko. Basically, looks at the camera. It's like, whoa, yeah, dude. Oh, <laughs> I got flashback to the my time. I also lived in a dorm with a friend who was playing. That that this happened. It's the most true to life thing in the world. I I have to say, I'm blown away by that scene because the the color scheme in this movie is so cool. The entire movie, and there's one scene where it's extremely warm, and it's the two of them. I guess the basketball scene is kind of warm in that too. Yeah. But the that scene is lit so perfectly and you just get the idea 
that you're not actually even seeing the actual incident. You're seeing somebody's memory of the incident, right. and it really feels that way. Almost sepia. Yeah, totally. Wavy yeah. lines. Finally, if there was a crossover movie featuring BR and RRR, would it have the coldest title of all time? Just <laughs> because it's like bird. Wonderful job, Mike. <laughs> when we come back, we will give out some awards. Battle Royale was not nominated for any Oscars. And we're going to change that. Well, I guess we're not going to change that. We're not going to nominate for Oscars. Let's we're do give it. it something Let's more just important. Let's do it. We'll give it some 2023 Oscars. <laughs> All right. Award season. We're going to start with the movie-specific awards with, let's get this out of the way, coolest violence. Ryan? Yeah, I think that uh, I might already be fucked, but uh, I'm going to take my pick anyway, which is the post-poison showdown. Um, I do think that this is similar to how humans would work, which is not necessarily planned kills. I'm going to sneak up and murder you with my sickle. Mm-hmm. But instead, just tensions ratcheted and ratcheted and ratcheted. And all of a sudden, guns are out in a situation like this and in Texas, where uh, I, I have to start firing because I'm so scared that you're going to start firing first. And right, with even all- though you're our quote-unquote my best friend. Right, and we were just best friends two seconds ago, but uh, in like true Reservoir Dogs fashion, I've got, everyone has guns pointed at different people. And the factions, my favorite part about that scene is the factions switch so many times in that scene where like the, the girl who actually did the poisoning stands in the background yeah. and smartly shuts yeah. the fuck up. And watches it all happen. Maybe guilty. Maybe she's like, no. She looks horrified. <laughs> like but, it keeps shouting in her face. Like, oh. And every time she goes, did I like, do that? Well, and then no, she just stops. But they keep moving their guns back and forth on each other, and it also looks cool. And also, they're bad with guns, which I love. <laughs> I love the the piss poor gunplay in this movie. I can't believe we Gregory. had the same incident, but I picked a more specific part of it, I guess, uh, because I specifically the part where. She jumps up on the table with the Uzi, and there's two girls shooting her with pistols. This should all be so horrific, but when she's just spraying back and forth, and they're both shooting her, and there's just so much gunfire and so many, like, you you don't see people get shot as many times in movies as you do in this, where, like, somebody mm-hmm. gets shot, like, 18 times, uh, and so she just, like, is spraying both of them, and they're both shooting her. And you should feel so horrified, but you're like, and then it, 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 it like, you get the shot of above it, and they're all peacefully laying there yeah. dead. It's just, we've also learned it's at this cool. Point, we've also learned at this point that in this movie, getting shot 18 times might mean you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, you'll call. probably die. <laughs> well, I guess I'll give it to both of you. I can't believe a uh, grenade in a decapitated head. You use that head to break a window. Oh, no. It wasn't just so I could break the window. There's a grenade in it. <laughs> It's pretty fucking cool, too. Recast the pod with Battle Royale characters. Greg? Okay. So, for me, I'm going with uh, the fat kid they gave a crossbow. Uh, here's why. Because he's like, oh, like he, you, you get this vibe from him that he's not going to participate, but then he got a good weapon, and he immediately starts shooting people. So, if he and, got a pot lid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he's in it, yeah. Like if he had a pilot, he would immediately be like, "We have to bind, to, we have to bound together, and we all have to make sure that we're working together to figure this out." But no, he's like, "Wait, I got a crossbow!" And instantly, and shoots you have a, a pot pen, and instantly shoots a classmate through the neck. So that's for me. Uh, should I do all mine, Mike? Yeah, sure. And then for Mike, it's got to be Mitsuko. Uh, like 
finds her true self in the competition, enjoys the the craziness. And then Ryan, I just have always thought of you as the main character, so I'm gonna say Shuya. Oh. Yeah. oh. Man, Ryan's the main character in your life, Greg. That's <laughs> sweet and sad. <laughs> I just I like your answer, so you're getting a point for that. Thank Ryan, you, Mike. what do you got? Uh, I put me as Mitsuko because I'm the baddest bitch in this room. Uh, Mike, I have as Kazuo. It's hurtful because uh, there's only two of us in this room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kazuo just runs around um, making sure everybody knows he's there, at some sometimes blindly. Um, <laughs> sometimes missing wildly, but you still hate to love him and love to hate him. So you're Kazuo. Uh, Greg is two characters. Greg is the two people who jump off the cliff immediately. I was... Okay. <laughs> I was thinking that I I considered them because I think that I would definitely entertain the notion of just taking my own life, but I think I'm too much of a coward to actually do that because jumping off a cliff would be extremely scary. Yeah, that's also scary. Yeah. And so what I think I would do instead was once I saw I got the crossbow, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go either I'm going to win with the crossbow or I'm going to go out quicker this way. And I, I just, I don't think I'm actually after seeing Gandhi, I've decided I am not brave enough to be a pacifist. I'm just a coward, so I don't want to fight. But I certainly don't want to, like, get hurt in any way. What about suicide by crossbow? Does that ever happen? Just to the temple, take one? What? Or you shoot it in the air and then just kind of <laughs> mouth open. <laughs> Wait, catch it in the you'll mouth. You'll see what I'm doing here in a second. <laughs> Uh, for me, I had Greg as the hacker kid. Oh, Because nice. he's somebody who like sees through all the bullshit and says, no, this is not the way we have to do it. I'm just it. getting us out of here. And not great at basketball, but great at basketball video games. Had that little <laughs> yes. basketball player on the screen. So bad that that's his hacking. Is I think he plays the basketball video game to, yeah. to hack through the government system. Oh, someone dumped uh, on our system. <laughs> Ryan is Kawada because he loves 80s action movies and I think could rock a headband. Okay. You should think about working that. Yeah, day. we'll see you next week. And uh, I'm the teacher who's just like, you can kill me. I don't want these kids to do this. That I also thought for me that like, yeah, that that has here's your effeminate well. current teacher. He's just dead because he said he doesn't think that students should hunt each other for sport. All right, biggest cringe, Ryan. Uh, hey, we talked about it briefly earlier, but uh, my biggest cringe is watching people from this era use computers. It's all just <laughs> I'm gonna type one thousand things on the keyboard. And then we're going to go into the base and we're going to see all the green lines yes. that tell, oh, click here to hack system. Like, And then their TVs just suddenly say, like, warning, hacked. Yeah. <laughs> and then he walks over and flips the switch. Well, and now we're it's not It's so sad that anymore. we already lost that technology. <laughs> well, no, he was so smart. Turn it off and on. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, what's your cringe? Uh, I have an anti-cringe, which is I don't remember the last time a movie was like, oh, yeah, by the way, everybody, it's a reality that women menstruate. <laughs> like this is one of the only <laughs> movies they have these kids killing each other but they make sure that the girls know that they're going to have their uh like hygiene taken care of yeah they have special bags i just am for ashamed that. that we are we are worse as a civilization than that than, than the battle royal land. people <laughs> they also use them as clues like i thought yeah. that uh somebody else was in there but i know it was you because yeah. there's a tampon in the toilet and I just thought that was so realistic, you know? It was like, that you just never... It's like, almost never mentioned in movies. Um, for something that happens just all the time, because it's normal. Uh, but my actual cringe, and this is so lame Greg stuff, but I it really upsets me when people don't have, like, good 
uh, gun management skills in movies, or they just they don't they don't. I don't like when people treat guns like they're they're um, not so deadly. Just and, like pointing at things that. Hey, can you pass me that soda and use your gun? To and here's here and it's, shoot it out of their hand. Sometimes in movies they put things that scare me because I think people are going to see this and they're not going to know. And the one that literally made me cringe is the soldiers soldiers fire their M16s into the ground. Yeah, into the concrete oh, yeah. ground to like get everybody's attention. Part of those kids are dead for in, sure. In movies, <laughs> bullets they just go the, to the first place they hit and then they're just gone forever. In real life, bullets bounce around so long and you can't just fire them what any I, which way you want what i like to do is i take two machine guns put them at the ground shoot and then fly like iron man mm-hmm. well, uh, that, that's cool with no regard of where the bullets go that's just cool <laughs> so yeah uh they would have like basically iced half of those kids right away by just accidentally what? shooting them in the legs would that have been better is a third of the kids goes down some of the soldiers go down and then also in later scenes where they are just doing computer work and napping or whatever just you just randomly see some of them in the background go down because the bullets are still flying <laughs> this is a good point in general there should have been multiple more kills of uh because i've been around high school kids i used to be one of somebody like sneezing and their head comes goes back and then comes down when they sneeze and it like slams into a boulder and they die. <laughs> like, they're very uncoordinated, these kids. Have you seen them play basketball? Uh, my cringe was uh, your guys' as cool as violence is my cringe, but specifically I'm going to go in on Yuko, who is Yuki's best friend. Yuki is the one who has a big crush on Shoyu, and Yuko is the one who comes in and ignores everybody, eats the poison soup, because one... That's clearly not your soup, and you just take it out of somebody else's fucking hand. But like, it's just like blah blah blah. I saw this person kill this person. This is crazy. Oh, you have a like. I was just like, man. The I feel loathing of teenage girls in yeah. this scene. The time between uh, this person getting the soup and eating the soup is like fourteen minutes. She could have said anything. <laughs> she could have just been like, oh, let me get a new bowl for you. Yeah, she wants to feel like the the poisoner wants to feel like she's above it, but she's just as yeah. bad as any of them. All right. Pound for pound performance. Greg, let's start with you. I have to go with the guy that played the the, the teacher. Katano. Uh, yeah. Is the answer. Katano. Uh, I, I just, there were layers to this performance, and he did a lot of little things in a really uh, effective way. There's something about the way he was like laying down in one scene that I just found very realistic. His motions, his whole like movement vocabulary was just on point. He doesn't have like a a bunch of times where he like chews the scenery saying what his motivations Mm. are. We just see that he's a deeply unhappy, super messed up guy, but he just, he has an almost like work a day attitude towards all of it that builds to, to get creepier and creepier and creepier as it goes on. When he, I'll give you a moment that I really liked. When he puts on the video, and oh, she's yeah. like, she's like, Konnichiwa! and he like does his, he puts his hands up and says it back to her, and he looks at the group like, aren't we gonna get into this? Are we gonna show? A little <laughs> Which is classic. Gang? Are we gonna show a little teacher. enthusiasm here? Yeah, I put out a video for us to watch. We're gonna have questions at the end. It's, I think that you know it's a wild concept, um, and he's such a big part of it being sold to the audience because of how matter of fact he is. It's like, look, this mm-hmm. is the way that the world works. Uh, and I'm the authority in every room that I'm in, or at least I am now. Maybe I wasn't right. when I was a teacher, but I am now. And it's not screaming uh, I, you know, at a podium like I'm going to be Hitler or some sort of dictator. It's just very matter-of-fact, this is the way that things work. And that sells the concept so much more yeah. than a, a scenery chewer would. Even when he's killing people, he's so just like resigned. Yeah, and like, like, yeah, look, I didn't want to do that. She 
ask for that knife in her forehead. You know, like I didn't want to do it. It just it, these are the things that happened. I said no whispering. He's, he's, also, he had not said no whispering. Yet. The he's other thing, no whispering warning. So upset, and he's obviously homicidally angry. But also, he wants in no way to show that to anybody, even a little bit, except mm. by all the stuff he's doing while he acts calm and does it. The, there's such an untrust. There's like such a lack of trust that's built with adults in this movie. Like they're all terrible people. But when he is with the the main girl on that beach mm-hmm. or whatever it is, even though you've already seen, uh, you know, like creepy, pervy child molesters in this movie you don't get that from him like you right he's clear she's clearly a stand-in for his long-lost daughter and he is developing a care about her that is somewhere between teacher and parent and not the gross things that a lot of other uh, scenery chewing actors may have put there is it supposed to be like she shows up for class and everybody's already ditched and so the two of them go out together so i think (laughs) those are not shown back to back but i do yeah I have those connected as well because she's like, "Well, what are let's hang out? I don't know, grab some popsicles." And then the last line of the movie, which is just blow you away, good in a very kind of like understated way, is you know what should an adult say to a, a child right now? Yeah, and like That's you get that vibe from parent from adults as kids all the time. Yeah, and they they all- clearly have no idea what they're supposed to do or say in this situation. But what's crazy is how often that they resort to their instinct, which is selfish, which is grandstanding which is how do i look good in the situation it's almost like mm-hmm. they're they can watch the situation from before and them the adult who is speaking to the child is, it's important that they look good as opposed to the child getting better yeah right yeah he wants to know that he's saying the right thing right yeah but like making sure that he comes off like a hero not actually being a hero and i think that's such a big issue with this movie is that they didn't want to raise a great generation they wanted the generation to think that they're great mm. <laughs> director's signature moment ryan i <laughs> i having this is probably the only movie i'll ever see of this guy um and so i have to go with the intro which maybe the you must be 15 to watch it was forced upon the movie maybe he made it more dramatic i don't know but the whole like uh classical music screaming (laughs) while helicopters are flying (laughs) and then the giant battle royale logo that we get to circle like we are in for future entertainment like it feels like that we are watching a movie from the near future instead of 20 years ago and i think like that's sort of this weird, timeless, not timeless at all yeah. aspect that he kicks the movie off with. Greg? I'm going to go with a simple, understated thing, but that I just I couldn't totally wrap my mind around. And it's uh, he cuts interstitially to a lot of these shots. They're on an island. And he cuts interstitially to a lot of these shots of the waves lapping against the rocks. And I thought, like, why does he keep doing this? It's placid. It's a nice break in between things. And I thought, you know, like, what is Japan itself but a collection of rocks in the sea? And I think also there is, like, a there's a timelessness to the story that's being told about this perpetual cycle of violence. And in a way, the the contrast of that with, like, the timelessness of the ocean and, and the rock and their both, like, their sort of, like, individual ways in which, you know, the, the ocean eventually erodes the rock, but the rock stands up to the ocean for so long. I think that there's, like, that those cuts back to that, I think are, like, in the same way that, Ryan, you say you're in for entertainment, 
this is the other face of the movie. The other face of the movie is you're also in for quiet contemplation about mm-hmm. the nature of man. And those things don't feel discordant. They feel like they absolutely just work together. You guys had much more thought out answers than mine. There's the uh, grenade with a, in a mouth. <laughs> grenade. Well, it's right before that. It's Kazuo <laughs> is on the roof and the guy turns around and it's just the angle up. So it's like he has like the, the gun and the sword in his hand. He's there's wind in his hair. It's just like <laughs> also yeah. a good one. Action movie. Action movie. All right, we're going to end with recommendations. Greg, if you like Battle Royale, what should you check out? I feel almost awkward recommending this because it's gotten a mixed um, cultural footprint, or it has. uh, I'm going to say Attack on Titan, um, the Japanese uh, manga and anime about... um, Because here's how it is like this movie. It is about this very large cast, this unwieldy group of kids who are basically all in a class, and you watch them grow up in this world that's beset by these big titans, these huge giants that basically act like zombies and just attack on sight. And you get to see these people grow up and realize what the world is really like, which is they think it's one way, and then they slowly realize it's completely different. Um, People have been uncomfortable with its nods towards fascism. I Mm -hmm. um, I think it engages with fascist tendencies and explores them but to do that it does dress its characters in military garb and have a lot of them espouse like kind of totalitarian viewpoints but i think it's an examination of that but it's why i hesitate to recommend it but it's the thing that i ultimately just kept thinking about as i watched this because of because it's japanese because it's about Mm -hmm. kids growing up and because it's about them growing up into a world that is broken because the generations before them have broken it and they are trying to adjust to the world. But at the same time, they're like, should we make this world adjust to us a little bit more? That is a good answer. Yeah. Something being about something like fascism is not an endorsement of it's hard. Some of the, like the main characters seem pretty fashy. I'm, Mm. I'm just watching the, the, the anime and it's not done yet and i feel very much like the last final chapters of it could either say like and all this fascism stuff is part of the problem but i do think there's a way in which it could maybe embrace it a little bit so it's not a totally comfortable problem is all this freedom yeah exactly well i mean because so much of the show is like you know we're we're trapped in these walls like cattle and like we're not even Mm -hmm. being human and we're just waiting to die and shouldn't we go and oppose our problems and shouldn't we go uh, manifest our destinies into this world and the more you hear the characters say that the more you're like man stop calling yourself cattle what's going on here like that's not comfortable (laughs) you know uh and so but i feel like battle royal makes us encounter discomfort and then weave that into our experience of the movie, including being titillated by things that we don't feel comfortable being titillated by, right? Like, we don't want to watch kids shooting each other and then be like, that was pretty cool. And I think that (laughs) Attack on Titan does the same things. Like, wait, why do you think this is cool? Why do you think this uniform is cool? Why do you think these course of actions are cool? Um, Because they're actually pretty problematic. And I think you very much see characters you think are good in the beginning of Attack on Titan become pretty bad and i think that the point is supposed to be that they lose themselves and that they don't find they don't find out they don't find the way to change the world that doesn't turn them into monsters and that's what the challenge of attack on titan and battle royal is can you change the world without being a monster or are you 
are you fated to accept your status as a monster as part of the problem and become just another link in this big chain? Well, that is a good recommendation. Ryan, what do you got? Mike, you mentioned this earlier, um, but I want to talk about it sort of the, the with the Groundhog Day that we were talking about before. I'm going to recommend a not movie. Uh, it's a comic <gasps> book called Avengers Arena, and this goes so far Hell as yeah. to uh, <laughs> the first issue... The AA of the logo is exactly like the BR, and it's a ah. uh, it's a picture of the cast exactly, or like the characters exactly like the cast picture at the end of the movie. Um, so they just lead into it. Yeah, they, yeah, oh, yeah. that's it's fun. Just like, this is Battle Royale. Um, this is done by a villain named Arcade, probably the greatest villain in comic book history, who puts twenty Avengers rookies on an island and tells them they have to fight to the death. Um, it's but the what the strong point is is not the fights. It is here are twenty characters that you don't really know, and let's watch their scenes together. So mm-hmm. the violence is cool, but I cannot believe the conversation. It's uh, Dennis Hopeless is the writer. Kev Walker is the artist, um, and it is I think a standout. That's a book like if I pitch that book to you, like hey, you should read this. Like no, that'll be canceled. That's stupid. That sounds like that'll maybe make it to issue six. Uh, it's actually legitly good. It, one of the characters, um, they're all like junior versions of Avengers or Marvel characters. Um, there's a young girl based on Deathlock, and her name is Deathlocket. <laughs> if you need any more than that, I don't know what to tell you. Isn't that also kind <laughs> of the plot of the DC Metal comics? They get transported to a realm, and they get like stripped of their powers, and they all have to fight each other? I bounced out of that. That just seemed like... Do you like Pantera? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to read this then? Uh, that is also a good wreck. Mine is uh, the Belko experiment, which uh, James Gunn wrote but didn't direct in 2016. It feels much older than that, both in vibes and for stuff he was doing at the time. Uh, but it is about a international conglomerate. They own uh, offices all around the world, and this one is down in Colombia. And then one day, normal day at work, uh, all the doors and windows get shuttered and a voice comes over and says, you have to kill two coworkers in the next 30 minutes as a building uh, or we'll kill all of you. And then they do it eventually and they're like, okay, cool, good. Now the next thing is, and Ah! so they just keep ramping it up. And so it's, uh, what if office space characters started to murder each other with office tools Uh, (laughs) while also talking about like, that the factions in there are like the white collar American people who have moved there versus the uh, people who live there and are coming in and doing, you know, like janitorial services. And then so they're, it's, it's trying to, I don't know if it's as successful as Battle Royale at uh, the culture of things it's dealing with, but it is, uh, it attempts it and it's a good old time at the violent movies. It's not as successful. I haven't seen it, but it's not. Thanks. Yeah. And that was a fake one. Sometimes you got to just flick somebody the nose. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, calculate the points, and when we come back, who will be the winner and how we think Battle Royale will do in our 2002 Battle Royale. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for bringing such strong fighting tendencies to this little show here we did. I don't know if you guys know that they, we, we do our own little Battle Royale. I also week. brought a scythe. But you didn't use it. 
No, but I held it menacingly. I think it did something. I got to say, when you're talking to somebody who's just holding a scythe and like hitting their hand with it like it's a baseball bat, it does make it weird, even if they don't use it. It's an awkward conversation. But then by the third time, they hurt themselves and go, ow! Ow! It's less intimidating. It is sharp. And then you're worried they're going to trip and kill themselves with that scythe. (laughs) Greg? Yes. My best friend of last week, you got 48 points. Woo! Four eight, pretty good, pretty good score. Ryan, the crazy challenger with a horrifying backstory. <laughs> fifty points. You are my new best friend. Fifty points. Wow. Oh yeah, you said we should both get fifty points. Yeah. And then I forgot and we got forty eight. Give you guys, points. Are me you up. guys once again talking about text feed stuff? <laughs> I would love for you to give Greg two points and then have Greg do an impression of a character from this movie. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, how do we think Battle Royale is going to do in the O2 Battle Royale? I think it's going to do really well. What of our awards is best violence? Yeah. So I don't know if anything else would get nominated other than this movie. There's a lot what, of what about when Richard Gere uh, brains that guy with the snow globe? The snow globe, yeah. Pretty good what violence this, there. And the ketchup comes this, out of his hair. The wind makes them run into each other. And, mm, and she skins her knee. This was all from... Uh, we had these conversations on the Unfaithful show, but... The Lost show. You'll never hear it. Yet another Lost episode. A lot of podcasts will have like one Lost episode. Per season. Yeah, we like to do one per... <laughs> we keep it spicy. But I don't know. I think that... I, I would say Dark Horse. Yeah. I mean, I could really, really, really see this making some noise because it it doesn't. There's not missteps in it. Everything right. it sets out to do, it does. It sets up mm-hmm. what will be a what it will make it a successful movie, and then it executes on all of those points. And I was never bored. I was never. I felt like completely in sync with the movie the entire time. I felt like, oh yeah, this is how they want me to feel. They want me to 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 be having these reactions to this. I just, I thought it was masterfully done. Also, think about it. It's a. It was made. It was released in two thousand in Japan, and it finally made it to the states in two thousand two. And it's about a far future known as two thousand two. What's more two thousand two than that? <laughs> the far future of right now. And it's. I feel like. If you're film Twitter and you only like Marvel movies, you're going to enjoy this. And if you're part of the film Twitter that hates Marvel movies, <laughs> uh, you're going to like this movie. It really does feel like it does anything somebody might want out of a movie. And if, like, whatever you're not into, this movie will do. And it's so easy to ignore, I guess. You know, like, it's yeah. not uh, in your face. There's It the, motors. There's those scenes about rocks th- with the waves that now I hate, but that's only because Greg <laughs> talks about them. We often say about movies, like, they can be so many different things. This one movie is so many different it's things. It's like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer. Well, that has been our Battle Royale show. Thank you so much, listeners. Uh, keep coming back later this season. It's Catch Me If You Can, Russian Arc, Chicago, and so much more. Until then, keep watching those movies. Keep watching those movies.